Okay, I'd like to bring this meeting, closed session meeting to order um, of the Goleta City Council, December the 19th, 2023. Um, roll call, please. Councilmember Kiriako? Here. Councilmember Reyes Martin? Here. Councilmember Kasdan? Here. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards? Here. And Mayor Perotti? I'm here. Um, it's an opportunity for the public to address anything that's on the closed session. Do we have any speakers? Madam Mayor, we do not have any speakers in chambers, nor are there any members of the public on the line. Then, Ms. Garibaldi, would you report us into closed session? Um, yes, Madam Mayor, we have two items on our closed session agenda for this evening. Um, existing litigation, the matter of Jorgensen versus the City of Goleta, and a labor negotiations for the um, bargaining units as listed on the agenda. And I just wanted to note for the record, Councilmember Kasdan, I believe, is participating under AB 2449. If Councilmember Kasdan, if you could um, state your reason for using AB 2449. Yes, I, I was exposed to, um, potentially exposed to COVID uh, at a birthday party. Okay. Okay, then we will um, adjourn to closed session. Okay, welcome everyone to our Goleta City Council meeting of December the 19th, 2023. If you'll all rise and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. We can have a roll call. Councilmember Kiriako? Here. Councilmember Reyes Martin? Here. Councilmember Kasdan? Here. And can you please, for the record, confirm that you are participating uh, via teleconference per AB 2449 and state the reason? Yes, thank you. I am indeed participating. Uh, AB 249, I think, was the right number. And um, the reason is, is that I was exposed to COVID at a, a, recent, uh, a recent gathering birthday party. And as such, it's, it's better for me not to come in. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards? Here. And Mayor Perotti? Here. Okay, at this time, um, we have a report from closed session, Ms. Garibaldi. Thank you, Madam Mayor. The City Council convened in closed session pursuant to the two items listed on the agenda. Um, it convened at 4.31 p.m. in closed session, and there was no public comment. There were no reportable action taken, and it recessed at 5.21 p.m. Thank you so much. Okay, at this time, we'll have a public forum. Anybody that wishes to speak to anything that's not on our agenda this evening? Madam Mayor, I do have one speaker slip for public comment. Uh, that is Bill Woodbridge. And if any members of the Zoom webinar wish to speak, please raise your hand and we'll call on you. Thank you. Hi, Mayor Perotti and council members. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. Uh, I believe I speak on behalf of hundreds, if not thousands, of Goleta tenants that are in the same or similar situations to me. And I just wanted to make a personal example, example of how dire it has become for tenants in Goleta. About four and a half years ago, I adopted a feral kitten that insists on going outside. 
to chase lizards, moths, or whatever. So I looked for a property where it had outdoor grounds that didn't open onto a busy street or a driveway. I found one at, at uh, uh, um, whatever it is on, uh, on uh, um, it's not the Willow Springs, it's the, uh, the Patterson Place. Uh, unfortunately, that is a Tobes property. My rent started out at $2,000 a month, uh, and they advocated that uh, they would only rent the, raise the rent for 5% uh, per year. Well, that lasted for two and a half years, and last year they raised it 10%. Uh, I'm retired, 75 years old, on a fixed income, living on, a uh, I have no pension, I'm just living on Social Security. I have some savings. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to live here at all. Two and a half years later, even though there was a rule on the books that said all pets must be on a leash, they never enforced it for cats. For seven or eight or 10 years, they never enforced it for cats. Two and a half years after I moved there, they pulled the carpet out from all of the cat owners and said, oh no, now guess what? Your cats have to be on a leash if they go outside at all. Well, I don't have time to be with that cat four or five times a day for an hour at a time while it goes out. So I wanted to move. Well, the problem in Goleta is the rent for those apartments, one bedroom, 613 square feet, which I live in, is now gone up to 2950 for anybody new. And it's even more at the other developments that are built within the five, last five years in Goleta. If you want to go across the street or Hollister Place, Los Caneros, whatever it is, it's $3,500 a month. If your rent is $3,000 a month, that's $36,000 a year. You have to make $108,000 a year just to qualify. What senior or what essential worker or teacher can qualify? We can't. So if I want to find a place where I can let my cat go outside that doesn't open onto a busy street or driveway, I have to move out of town. Because if I leave, my rent is now 2350 because I've been a resident there for four and a half years. If I leave, my rent for the same unit same, at the same property would be 2950 Elsewhere, it would be $3,500 a month. That's what's happening. It's a disaster. People are not going to be able to afford to live here anymore. Thank you. Thank you. And I do have one more speaker slip for public forum. Jason Chap. Hello, Madam Mayor and City Council. Um, I'm coming to you, unfortunately, again, because a week ago today, another one of our neighbors was lost. Um, an 84-year-old woman was hit and killed on Hollister Avenue, west of Stork. While I don't know the circumstances of what happened, I consider this a senseless and preventable tragedy. Our city is not alone in these tragedies, and in fact seems to be experiencing the troubling trend of increases in pedestrian deaths throughout the United States, reversing years of progress and improvement. Pedestrian deaths in the US were already much higher than in much of the developed world. It's become clear through the evidence that our transportation system hasn't, pedest hasn't prioritized pedestrian safety and comfort. We can say all we want about our intentions, but the facts don't lie. In fact, multi-lane high-speed roadways, just like Hollister, have proven to be the most dangerous places for pedestrians, especially at night. 
Historically, cities like Goleta have not invested in doing things that reduce the risk for pedestrians, the most prominent of which, which is simply doing things that reduce speeds. I fear that without substantial change in mentality, we will only continue this trend. So I'm calling on you to reconsider the way that we've done things and to declare through policy that traffic deaths on our streets are not just a fact of life, but that are unacceptable and preventable. The first step in this is to develop and adopt the Vision Zero plan. While this has been on the list for years, it must be prioritized before other significant infrastructure investments if it is to have any impact. I believe that Goleta is a special place and we can be a small town that bucks this awful trend and that you all have the, the open-mindedness and compassion to do it. Thank you. Thank you. And there are no more speakers for public forum. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, amendments or adjustments to our agenda, city manager. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We don't have any uh, amendments to the agenda tonight. Okay, and now do we have a Would you like report? me to proceed with my update? Sure, I have a few items. Um, first, I'll just acknowledge it's the last council meeting of the year. Uh, so just pause for a minute to acknowledge uh, all the accomplishments uh, your council and, uh, made this year. I think it was a really productive year. Uh, I won't go through all of them, but I think tonight is indicative of um, kind of the year. Um, there's some very um, positive and interesting items on the agenda tonight. So I'm looking forward to the meeting and looking forward to uh, closing out the year uh, with you and just want to show my gratitude for being a part of it this year. Thank you for that. Um, Next, I want to switch gears to um, um, upcoming potential storms that uh, we've received some information on. So this is kind of hot off the press. So I'm reading an email and kind of paraphrasing as I go. Um, so the storms uh, have been upgraded. Uh, we had a, a member of our staff attend a county-led meeting today at 2 o'clock called the Storm Risk Decision Team. Uh, they met um, to receive an update from meteorologists about um, what we can expect. And I don't know all the details, but apparently it was hard to predict because something odd happened meteorologically. Um, but it does look like what happened has the potential to kind of sit in and produce quite a bit of rain in the area. Um, so that was being monitored. Um, their point was to look at that, but also to see if it was time to make any decisions about putting out warnings um, or evacuations, et cetera. They did not take that step at the meeting today at 2. Uh, but there'll be another meeting tomorrow um, that we will also attend to keep up on that. Um, so the message from that meeting was for all, all uh, jurisdictions to just start to prepare. And so we're going to do the normal things that we do. We're monitoring, monitoring our creeks and watersheds and some of the work that we did last year from damage caused by the rains. Um, we're starting to contact staff and just prepare ourselves in case we have to take any um, extra action over the next few days. Um, getting the public work staff ready to be on call just in case. Um, public work staff's already been out looking at stuff, doing that kind of things, um, preparing um, sandbags availability for the public. And then we're also considering or not, whether or not we um, uh, have our staff work at home. So we'll make that decision uh, for tomorrow and Thursday and see what Friday looks like. So those are all going on, um, and we'll keep, uh, keep in the loop and, and be a part of the countywide um, process for monitoring this and making decisions. And then, um, again, last meeting of the year, and City Hall will be closed between Christmas and January 2nd. Um, we will have staff on call as needed, especially if we continue to get big storms. 
um, but City Hall will be closed during that time. And then finally, uh, I think they're shown on your agenda. We do have two observances for next year, of course, uh, January 1st, New Year's Day, and that's one of the reasons we're closed and don't come back until January 3rd. And then um, later in the month, I think the third week, um, is Martin Luther King Day. And that's all I have right now. Okay. Thank you. Okay, moving on to our consent calendar. Item A1, fiscal 20. <clears throat> fiscal year 2023 to 24, first quarter financial review. Item A2, acceptance of the September 2023 investment transaction report. Item A3, acceptance of the October 2023 investment transaction report. Item A4, City of Goleta Board and Commission's Handbook. Item A5, annual financial report of the City of Goleta's development impact fees for fiscal year 2022 to 23. Item A6, second reading of Title 17 zoning of the Goleta Municipal Code Amendments Ordinance to facilitate high density residential housing as detailed in Housing Element 2023 to 2031, subprogram 2.1A at 7264 Chi Real, APN 077-130-006, case number 23-0004-ORD, recommendation conduct second reading by title only, waiving further reading of ordinance number 23 next in line, entitled an, ordin an ordinance of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, amending Title 17 zoning of the Goleta Municipal Code to change the zone district and standards for 7264 Cayo Real, APN 077-130-006, case number 23-0004-ORD. Item A7, Second reading of Title 17 Zoning of the Goleta Municipal Code Amendment Ordinance to facilitate medium density residential housing at 625 Dara Road as detailed in Housing Element 2023 to 2031, subprogram 2.1A, case number 23-0004-ORD. Recommendation, conduct second reading by title only, waiving further reading of ordinance number 23 next in line entitled an ordinance of the city council of the city of Goleta, California, amending title 17 zoning of the Goleta municipal code to change the zone district for 625 Dara Road, APN 069-373-064, case number 23-0004-ORD. Item A8, second reading of title 17 zoning of the Goleta municipal code amendments ordinance to facilitate high-density residential housing as detailed in Housing Element 2023 to 2031, subprogram 2.1A, at 449 Kellogg Way, APN 071-130-039, and 469 Kellogg Way, APN 071-130-010, case number 23-0004-ORD. Recommendation, conduct second reading by title only, waiving further reading, of ordinance number 23 next in line, entitled an ordinance of the city council of the city of Goleta, amending title 17 zoning of the Goleta municipal code to change the zone district and standards for 449 Kellogg Way, APN 071-130-039 and 469 Kellogg Way, APN 071-130-010, case number 23-0004-ORD. Item A9. <clears throat> Second reading of Title 17 Zoning of the Goleta Municipal Code Amendments Ordinance to Implement Housing Element 2023-2031, to 
subprogram HE 2.1A, B, and E, case number 23-0004-ORD. Recommendation, conduct second reading by title only, waiving further reading of ordinance number 23 next in line, entitled an ordinance of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, amending various provisions of Title 17, zoning, of the Goleta Municipal Code to implement certain housing element 2023 to 2031 programs, including rezoning of specific properties. Case number 23-0004-ORD. Item A10, notice of completion of various 2023 winter storm emergency projects. Item A11, agreement amendments for the Elwood Beach Drive drainage repair project. Item A12, uh, amendment for stormwater and watershed management services with DUDEC. Item A13, resolution authorizing agreements with the State of California associated with the Building Forward Library Facilities Improvement Program. Item A14, consideration of the 2024 City Council meeting schedule and City Hall holiday schedule. Item A15, amendment number one to agreement number 2022-113 with MNS Engineers Incorporated for construction management and engineering services at the Goleta Community Center. Item A16, legislative platform for calendar year 2024. Item A17, Goleta Community Center general policies, procedures, and rental application process. Item A18, amendment, amendment to MOU with WEV for small business loan program. And item A19, Goleta Train Depot approval of development plans and specifications, authorization to advertise for construction, approval of professional service agreement with Kitchell slash CEM Incorporated for construction management, and amendment number four to PSA number 2019-071 with COM3 Consultants Incorporated. Thank you for that. Um, council wish to pull any items? Yes. Council member Kasdan? Yeah, A9 and A18. A9 and A18, did you say? Yeah. Okay. Um, any other? I have to state a recusal. Should I do this now? Um, so I need to recuse myself from participating in item A7 due to a potential conflict of interest because my home is in close proximity to the site that is the subject of rezoning. Because the item is on consent, I'm not required to leave the room, but my vote will count only as to the balance of the consent agenda and will not be a vote cast for A7. Okay, and I also need to, um, I need to recuse myself from participating in item A6 due to the possibility, possible conflict of interest. Because this item is on consent, um, I'm not required to leave the room, but my vote uh, will count only as to the balance of the consent agenda and will not be a vote cast for A6. So having said that, let's, um, let's talk about, um, I think we should, A9. Councilman yeah. Kasdan, you had a question on A9? Well, not a question, really a comment and then um, sort of an observation that this is also following up on the recent death of Margie Vasquez on Hollister and where she got killed. Uh, so this is, I'm not sure she's in her 80s, 82 or 86, 
where she got killed was near the Cal Taco and right around there. And part of what's going on, I suspect, is because the 7-Eleven is closed. People are crossing the street over there to get to the stores on the other side of the street. And at, you know, somebody at that age does not move fast. Uh, the other thing, so, you know, number one, we've got two lanes and people go 40 to 50 miles an hour easily along that stretch and, and following. Uh, so you have a very dangerous environment right there near those stores. But I want to add on top of that, in addition, all along Hollister, we have very few stops, uh, very few uh, crossing points, hawk lights, or anything like that. Uh, and without detailing where each of them are, I just want to observe that we have a whole lot of bus stops on the north side of Hollister, and we leave people off on, on there, sometimes where it's lit, sometimes where it's not lit, and there's no crosswalks, and they have to rush across two lanes or four lanes of traffic where cars are going 40 to 50 miles an hour. So that is, you know, in essence, a death trap. So, so the first thing is we have to stop and think and look at putting in where, whether it's traffic lights or whether it's crosswalks like the Hawk lights, but we can't have people trying to cross the road, especially, you know, and I can add in actually there's in addition, there's people who are crossing to get, I know, from experience going to, um, from the Grove, going over to um, the dog park on the other side or the park on the other side of the street and having to rush across the street. Uh, we've heard a number of comments from people who live at the hideaway about their concerns about the speed in which traffic is going. My point is though, that we have to step back and look at that and really make some quick, you know, some, we can't have people if we want to use buses and we believe buses are important, we can't set people up to be targets. The reason I also, so I wanted to just make that observation first, but the reason I brought it up in this context with this, with respect to this particular item is because we're adding so much housing along that street. And we are adding the amount of housing that will be on just the north side of Hollister. So not in, not nothing south, just uh, uh, from on the other side of Hollister, where it used to be primarily offices and so forth. We've been adding for the past 10, 15 years, adding a lot of housing. We're going to have roughly after this new housing element starts to be put into place, about 8% of the city's population will be on the north side of Hollister. And so it's going to require, aside from the intersection, you know, we uh, there's been, you know, frequent conversations, and I'll bring it up again, about the intersection and, and keeping the congestion down. But it is inevitable that we have to step back and rethink, what are we doing with Hollister? How are we going to have Hollister look? Because you can't have that volume of people living there and have no way of them crossing the roads and having traffic going at the speed that it is. Uh, and and so I this isn't the context really where I'm, you know, where I can make a motion as far as 
um, you know, doing some study, I don't think, or something like that. But I guess it's really just putting in a placeholder, and we'll talk about it later. Um, and that's really what I wanted to say on this. Councilman Kasdan, I, I will make a comment. I think it's appropriate at this time to address that we will be having a meeting um, in February, I want to say, middle of February, that will be addressing our um, pedestrian and bicycle master plan. And at that time, um, I think um, a lot of um, questions can be addressed and, and answered if possible. I don't think this has this is the pedestrian bike master plan. I don't think that's the context because we have a class one bike lane. We I mean, there are pedestrians, but these are people who are not necessarily pedestrians. They're people who are either just trying to cross the road to go from where they live on the south side of Hollister or to go from their bus stops on the north side of Hollister to their homes. It isn't inherently something about connections of the bike and ped routes. It is something that is integral to what Hollister looks like and the flow of traffic on Hollister. So I don't think this is something that is inherent to the bike and ped master plan. It's a separate problem. And just as we decided to have a separate uh, discussion and a separate evaluation of what to do when we did the uh, lane restriping in, in um, Hollister on the east side, we're going to have to have a, a vision for what we want to do on the west side when we're adding the volume. I mean, right now to keep it safe and then also going forward, what do we do to reflect the, the volume of housing that's being added? I, I appreciate that. Um, Councilmember, I mean, um, our city attorney, uh, Ms. Garibaldi, do you have comments? I see you leaning over. Uh, Madam, I would just. I appreciate Councilmember Kazan's comments. I think maybe we're getting a little off track for the agenda item of the zoning ordinance. So um, I, I appreciate that they, these have these have great effects, but maybe try to keep it on task. Okay. Well, the part that the part that was specific, and I'm not going to press it long further, but the part that was specific is because we're adding significant amounts. We're adding over 500 units on Hollister in the west side. And that's the context that I'm offering this up is that we have to also not just say everything can be status quo. Um, Councilmember Kasdan, you just froze for a second here. Oh, you're back. Oh. You're back. Okay. Oh. Well, I won't repeat that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Madam uh, Mayor. Yes. Uh, do we have any speakers on that particular one? We do on okay. item A9. I also have a speaker for item A6. And if there are any members well, of the let's do um, let's finish on this one. And then um, um, here, I think Councilmember Kasdan wanted to pull A18. So um, yeah. let's see if there's any speakers to A9. And then we'll go to A18. And then um, we'll make uh, we'll vote and then hear public comment. Um, so I have one speaker slip for a speaker on item A9, and if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak on that item, please Could you read the hands. item so they know? What uh, yes. Oh, is it the long one? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, item A9, second reading of Title 17, Zoning of the Goleta Municipal Code, Amendments, Ordinance to Implement Housing Element 2023 to 2031, so sub-program, HE 2.1 A, B, and E 
Case number 23-0004-ORD, recommendation, conduct second reading, by title only, waiving further reading of ordinance number 23, next in line, entitled an ordinance of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, amending various provisions of Title 17 zoning of the Goleta Municipal Code to implement certain housing element 2023 to 2031 programs, including rezoning of specific properties. Case number 23-0004-ORD. Thank you. Do we have any speakers for that? Yes, our first public speaker is April Reed. Um, can I just make a comment? Um, I Could you come up to the microphone, please? Because not everybody can hear you. Nobody can hear you um, on television. As long as my time doesn't start, I just have a question. I, well, I'm sorry. Um, I wrote uh, something in order, and so my first comments are about Kenwood Village, so I didn't realize you were going to take these out of order. Well, um, that item wasn't pulled, but you're certainly welcome to um, address it and talk to it. Okay, can I have my time start? Um, we're, we're finishing A9 right now, and then we're going to go to A18. That was pulled. So we have two items that were pulled, and correct me if I'm wrong on this. Am I correct? Okay, well, it's, a, it's all right. I'm going to speak on what I have to speak on. I'll, I'll start now. Okay. Um, okay, since two of the city council members have already stated there would be building on Kenwood Village, it is probably pointless to keep speaking. But I'm going to do it anyway. After years of working on the housing element plan and eight months of dealing with rezoning up zoning properties, I was shocked to learn that at least one member of the city council did not even bother to figure out the makeup or the, of the area surrounding Kenwood Village. So for some reason, I've had to do it, all the work myself. To be clear, Kenwood Village is surrounded on two sides by single family housing and one side by medium family housing. The fourth side is Cali Real. For months, the property owner has either had his friends from out of the city misstate the area surrounding Kenwood Village as surrounded on three sides by high-density housing, or he has not corrected his buddies, some from outside Goleta, who are misrepresenting the surrounding area. Either way, this is not true. Even worse, one city council member stated there was a discrepancy regarding the, the makeup of the surrounding area. There is no discrepancy. To be clear, I have sent multiple pictures and documents, including the property owner's own 2016 EIR report that admits that two sides of Kenwood Village, Baker Lane, and Tuolumne Drive are single-family housing. I do not know why the City Council has not bothered to figure out the true surroundings of Kenwood Village after eight months before voting to drastically change the makeup of a quiet, peaceful, one-block-long suburban street, but it is insulting to know the city council has not bothered to clarify any discrepancies before voting. If the property owner wants to pretend the Kenwood Village is surrounded by high density housing on three sides, he should have the guts to come up here and say it for himself. He can also produce documentary evidence like I have done, uh, which he hasn't done and can't do uh, because his buddies claim uh, that, I'm sorry, uh, if, uh, he can also produce documentary evidence, which he hasn't done and can't do, uh, and his buddies uh, can't produce any evidence of any of these facts either. Um, so I would like—I I would like—I don't know if it's going to happen—but I would like every one of you to state that you know the makeup, the true makeup of Kenwood Village, and not let the property owner get away with his dishonest. Uh, statements and his buddy's dishonest statements about the true makeup of the property. 
before you make a final vote tonight to rezone Kenwood Village. It's the least that you can do after eight months. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else would like to speak to A9? Madam Mayor, there are no other speakers okay. for item A9. Then the other item that was pulled was A18. Councilman yeah. Kasdan. Yeah, so A18 is the one that was Weave is proposing to repurpose the funds that were dedicated for during COVID uh, for a loan program and to um, sort of offer a redesigned program uh, that might bear more traction during COVID. There was so much other funding available. It wasn't the money wasn't used. Uh, there were more attractive offers for people. And this one is repackaging, putting in a new formulation. The, the, the thing that I'm just raising right now is that our we had something proposed in our strategic plan, our economic development strategic plan that was included, which was a, a microcredit program. And what struck me is that I gather this didn't go to the Economic Development Committee. And it seemed like there's always options to be considered as far as what sort of program makes the most sense, um, you know, what interest rates to use, or should they be subsidized or not subsidized? And, you know, really to say, to does the Economic Development Committee want to look at this? before it goes to council. So to kick it back to the committee to uh, to participate in discussions over. Does anybody want to, um, I'm not seeing any response. Madam Mayor, I can I can just simply confirm that um, Councilmember Kazan is correct. This item did not go before the Economic Development Committee. Um, but at a staff level, we worked with Weave to um, streamline the process, and that's what's before you today. And it was based on the fact that um, the program um, was not was not being used, and so the thought was that this would um, create a situation where it might be more um, desirable for for small businesses to tap into it. So that's what's before you today. Okay, thank you. I mean, typically, I think of things where there's a policy content as something that goes to the committees to uh, weigh in on. And I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not uh, suggesting that what is being proposed is not desirable or in, you know beneficial over the current. So I offer it to the committee to say whether they're, uh, whether they would like a, you know, a, um, A review of the item, or whether they uh, don't have any uh, interest in it. Councilmember Kariako. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. I actually really appreciate uh, Councilmember uh, Kasdan bringing this issue up. Um, I, I think there's a, a number of ways that you could address these types of concerns. I think ultimately where I come down is, you know, we have a relationship with staff where we do a gender review. We look at the items, we receive the items, we get a chance to review them. And I, I think it's really incumbent upon those of us that are on different committees, whether it's economic development um, and an issue as is this, or you know the the emergency preparedness plan and the um, and the emergency preparedness committee. 
you know, th I think there's going to be times where staff feels like there's a strong policy imperative to check in with a committee ahead of time. And then I think the reverse is sometimes true. And I think this is an example of where I can sit here as a member of the Economic Development Committee and I can review it and say, I'm satisfied with the information I have. I don't feel a need to interrogate this data further at a committee level and engage staff. But I appreciate the fact that we have a council that's collaborative and believes, believes in transparency. And we have the ability, if we want to, to pull this and say that we'd like to kick it back so that we can look at it further. And that's, I think, where I would ultimately come down on this one, which is I'm satisfied with what I've reviewed. I don't feel the need to kick it back down to the committee. Um, but I feel that I'm personally empowered to ask that it come to us at the committee and, and be brought off the agenda uh, if necessary. That's, that's, that's my view, but I really appreciate where Councilmember Kasdan's coming from. Councilmember uh, Reyes-Martin. I'll just add, as a member of the committee, I do appreciate the, the questions that Councilmember uh, Kasdan has raised as well. I think in my reading of the agenda packet before this meeting, you know, this was an MOU that was first um, entered into in 2020, so we're, you know, several years off, and when I read it, you know, the, the adjustments that are that staff worked with Weave to do are still in the spirit of that MOU, um, and um, there's just some adjustments that have been made, so I think that's, I didn't feel like, you know, we needed to, um, ha you know, rehash it or hash it out even more, and I appreciate that staff work with them, but I do agree that we have now adopted an economic development plan, and for you know, new things that come up in the future, that should absolutely be part of the conversation. But I, I appreciate the questions that have been raised. Okay, do we have any other speakers? Madam Mayor, we do not have any uh, speakers for item A18, but if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak on this item, please raise your hand and I will call on you. I don't see any hands raised. Okay. So at this point, we'll all ask if there's any other, anybody that want, would like to speak to any other item on the agenda. Uh, yes, we do have one speaker slip for item A6, that is April Reed. Okay. Um, and if there are any other members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and we will call on you. Okay, sorry, since I got all screwed up, this is, I'm trying to change everything up. Um, First of all, it's insulting again that Council Members Kiriako and Kasdan declared at the December 5th, 2023 meeting uh, that there would be building on Kenwood Village without an updated sequel review, an addendum, or any public comment whatsoever. Uh, I'm not sure how they know this or who the third council member is that's uh, declaring that they have decided that there's going to be building on the property, um, but maybe that person wants to come forward and uh, then you can all tell us how it is that you came up with this idea before uh, any plans that we know have even been um, produced. Um, secondly, I'm doing this because I know I'm not gonna win, so I'm just gonna say my, my opinion. Um, especially last, uh, last meeting, there were two members that also decided that they should lecture us about um, how we should feel or what we should think or what we should say and um, I won't speak for anybody else, but I know I didn't appreciate it. We come here in good faith. We come here with, most of us come here with the truth on our side and uh, telling us um, how we should uh, think, feel, speak, just because it's different from what you guys think is not appreciated. 
Again, I won't speak for anybody else, but that's my opinion. Uh, we need a new EIR uh, rather than just an addendum because there's been significant changes in uh, Goleta since 2006. Uh, but I know, I understand you guys don't agree, but uh, you know, all you have to do is look at Goleta to see all the different uh, changes. Uh, I'll just kind of go through a few different brief things. Uh, contaminant soil and hazards and hazardous material. This was used as an agricultural property for quite some time, so there should be a uh, review of that before building. Regarding flooding, uh, next door to Kenwood Village is a complex, and uh, the bottom floors uh, have a quote, and this is from risk factor, not from me, a 99% chance there will be flooding at the condos next to Kenwood Village in the next 30 years. So that should be taken into consideration also. You shouldn't just be able to build on the ground floor if he's even allowed to build. Uh, that should be taken into consideration. There's flooding today. I'm sure you could go and drive by and look at it yourself. Uh, there's obviously been a drought for 16 years. I know you can't do anything about that, but uh, you know I don't know how we're really honestly going to get water uh, for any of these properties. And then traffic, your own traffic study indicates that the one and two most serious crash collisions are at uh, Hollister, where uh, almost, and where the um, fire trucks are gonna have to drive by to get to um, Kenwood Village in addition to Cali Real and US 101. So I don't know what you're gonna do about that. Thank you. Do we have any other speakers um, on any of the items on the consent? There are no more public speakers at this okay. time. And I'd like to entertain um, a motion for the consent calendar. Uh, I move consent calendar. I'll second that. Okay. Um, roll, are, are we going to do roll call vote with, um, yeah? Okay. Not the, okay. Roll call vote, please. Uh, Council Member Kiriako? Aye. Council Member Reyes Martin? Aye. Council Member Kasdan? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards? Yes. And Mayor Perotti? Aye. And ayes have. Point in time, I think we um, are um, doing the. Uh, we're recessing to the, um, the RDA successor agency. So the first item on the consent calendar for the RDA successor agency is item A1, successor agency administrative budget and recognized obligation payment schedule for July 1, 2024 to June 30, 2025. And this is a consent item. If any council wishes to pull this item. Okay, do we have any speakers on this item? I do not have any speaker slips for this item, but if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and we'll call on you. And I don't see any hands raised at this and time. And I'll entertain a motion. Who would like to make the motion? Um, I'll move approval. I'll second. Councilmember Kiriako? Aye. Councilmember Reyes Martin? Aye. Councilmember Kasdan? Aye. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, Mayor Pro Tempore Richards? Yes. And Mayor Perotti? Aye. Okay. We will now um, reconvene to the City Council meeting. Okay. Item B. 
And the next item on our agenda is item B1, selection of mayor pro tempore. Good afternoon, oh, excuse me, good evening, mayor, mayor pro tempore, council members. So it's that time of year where we ask that we select the mayor pro tem pursuant to our resolution 0558. Um, and um, also back in 2012, the city council elected to become the successor agency to the redevelopment agency for the city of Goleta. So the mayor pro tem that's chosen tonight is also gonna be the vice chair for, the, for that agency. So what I'm gonna do is simple. I'm gonna go ahead and open up the nominations right now. It does not require a second. So if we can have a nomination for the mayor pro tem. Mayor pro tem Richards. Thank you, yeah. I would like to nominate uh, council member uh, Luce Reyes-Martin for the position. And do I have any other nominations? Okay, we're gonna go ahead and close the nominations and ask for a roll call vote, please. Very exciting. Um, oh, yes. do we, do we need public comment on this item? Yes. I'm sorry, did I not call public comment? Uh, sorry about that. We do have one public speaker for this item, that is April sorry. Reed. And if there are any other members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I'll call on you. Uh, well, you're all cowards. So, um, I also would like to nominate Ms. Reyes Martinez. I'm actually, I'm sorry. Um, I know that that's not going to help any at all, uh, but hopefully everybody will vote for you anyway. Um, you have not lectured us. Uh, you seem to know what you're doing, unlike some other people on the council who don't even know what the surrounding area of a property is before they vote for it and then they don't have the guts to make any statements about it or to say, yes, I understand what this property is before I vote for it. So, um, and I apologize if this is probably not helping you. It probably isn't, but I think you're, um, you are the best of the, of the council and Mr. Councilmember Richards is um, uh, the current pro tem, so he can't do it and the other two shouldn't do it. Um, at all, and uh, if you want my reasons, I can give you a heck of a lot more than what I just gave you. So uh, I truly hope that you get it, and if you do, congratulations. Do we have any other speakers? We have no more speakers. Okay, so I think at this point we'll do a roll call. Madam Mayor, if I may, I just, uh, I, I actually wanted an opportunity to speak about why I nominated her. Oh, so, please uh, do. Yeah, I, I really do uh, uh, feel like she'd have a lot to contribute in this position. She's been on the council a year now, and uh, this is a, an opportunity for us to rotate among the members and give everyone a chance to take a leadership role and share their thinking and participate in our process. And I, I and it's your turn. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very happy to make the nomination and support Roll call vote. Uh, Councilmember Kiriako. If it helps you, aye. <laughs> uh, Councilmember Reyes-Martin. Aye. Councilmember uh, Kasdan. Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards. Yes. And Mayor Perotti. Aye. That's unanimous. Welcome. Can I say sure. And I, I, you know, let me just first start by thanking. Um, now I'm going to have to call you Council Member Richards. <laughs> it might take me a little while to get used to it. Um, for all your help over this past year, you've been ex excellent. I know I've had to take some time off for surgery, and I've missed some meetings, and you always jump to fill in for me. So thank you. Um, um, 
Good job. Thank you so much. My pleasure. <laughs> I'll just br briefly add th thank you uh, for the the vote of confidence to uh, you know have the opportunity to serve in that role. Um, I am coming up on just about one year since joining this council, and I really, uh, truly want to thank um, my colleagues, council members, and Mayor Perotti uh, for being so uh, welcoming and understanding of my coming up to speed on some things that were already in motion and new things. Um, it truly is a privilege and an honor to serve this city and to get to serve alongside um, each of you. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Councilmember Kasten couldn't be here in person tonight, but. Uh, truly, thank you, um, and I look forward to serving the city for a year in, in this capacity. Thank you. Well, I, uh, I just want to say I'm glad you accepted, and I'm glad we <laughs> voted for you, and I look forward to working closely with you for this next year. Do we need to change? Okay, I guess you're going to have to get, you have to sit next to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already going to put you to work. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 you want to take a couple minute break? Yeah. Let's yeah. take a couple minute break while I get set up. <laughs> okay, look out, the women are in power now. Right. <laughs> Daughter. Could you read the next item into the um, agenda? Item C1, Christine Schmidt, Assistant City Manager Recognition. Oh, this is a hard one. <laughs> um, Ms. Schmidt, would you like to come up? say a few words here um, you know I, I it's been a pleasure working with you for the past several years almost five and um, you know you're always make yourself available you're so professional you're so kind um, I can go on and on and on and, and I will miss you um, I promise not to cry because I do that sometimes but I'm not I wish you well um, and I have the honor of presenting you in special recognition of Christine Schmidt, Assistant City Manager. Tough job, but you did it very well. In appreciation of your dedication, professionalism, and commitment to the City of Goleta, June 24, 2019, um, to December 30th, um, 2023. Um, Maybe, do we, who's taking pictures? I know, oh, there you are. <laughs> I hope it's, and then I think the whole council will want to take a picture with you. Great, thank you. Okay. <laughs> hey, do all of you, and then if you want to say a few words. How we get Stuart in it. <laughs> take pictures, and then if you want to say anything to anybody else. Do you still have Stuart in there? Yes, yeah, Stuart, you're on. Come on. <laughs> 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 
Thank you very much. <sighs> and I will be uh, characteristically brief. <laughs> Mayor Perotti, uh, Mayor Pro Tem, Luis Reyes Martin, and City Council, it's been my enormous honor to serve as the Assistant City Manager for the City of Goleta. Um, I have been so lucky to work with two amazing city managers, Michelle Green and now Robert Nisbet, get him started in the job, um, and with a management team and staff throughout the organization that are dedicated, uh, energized, and high-performing. Um, throughout the organization, just really impressive people. And of course, with you, the city council, and I've been so impressed how you bring um, your attention, um, your intelligence, and your heart to everything that affects this city. And um, it's been a real pleasure to be at the city of Goleta. I look forward to seeing what you do next and to watching from just down the road and seeing Goleta thrive. And thank you so much for this. I will put it in my new office at home and and um, I'm just so pleased to have it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure there might be somebody else that would like to say a few words. Anybody else? Councilmember Kiriako. Yeah, I got a few things to say. So um, I know a little something about where you've been. I know a little something about where you're going. Um, you have really done an incredible job in the function that you've had for these last these last years, and we've been we've been so lucky to have you. And uh, boy did boy did Michelle make the right choice. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the. Your, your time with us is one of one little piece of her legacy, but you've got a legacy all your own. Um, in particular, the way you've uh, looked out for our staff, you've helped oversee departments, you've helped implement initiatives, um, you've, you've made a, a very valuable and noticeable contribution in your role, and you're going to be missed. Um, and in terms of where you're going, Maria Elena de Guevara is a hard, hard act to follow, but I got a lot of confidence in you. That, that you can do it. And I, I know a few people over there at County Human Resources who are gonna be real happy when you walk through the door and are, are gonna be looking forward to doing some incredible work with you too. Mayor Bertram Reyes-Martin. Thank you, I'll just add briefly, you know, as a, I was a community member when you first came to Goleta and it's always nice when I have friends, uh, including, you know, my, my husband who work at the city of Santa Barbara who said, you are so lucky that Christy is coming to the city of Goleta. So when I started, I already knew you had such a stellar reputation um, and the work that you've done here. So just thank you. Thank you so much for being so helpful and available to me in my first year on council. Um, I wish you luck and I know I will see you around or in town. Councilmember Richards. Thank you. Um, yeah, I thank you, Christy. It's been a pleasure working with you, I wanna say. You've definitely left your mark on the city. It's, you were here during a critical time, as was mentioned, during the transition with our city manager, and you helped make that as smooth as possible. Um, you have 
uh, led with ante integrity and you have uh, your heart has been in the position and for the benefit of our city and our residents. Um, I want to say that you've led with professionalism, a positive attitude, and a can-do can -do spirit. So those are the things that, that I think of when I think of your service here. Thank you very much. Uh, any other speakers? Oh, <laughs> Councilmember Captain, I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess uh, when I when I think of you, Christy, the thing that stands out to me most is just your enthusiasm and your cheerfulness. Uh, whether it's mm -hmm. you know this, uh, you're always smiling and you're always uh, just ebullient, and that that combination of both. Uh, Cheerful enthusiasm and professionalism is uh, just a great addition to the, the office. And so I think it was probably calming for everyone to have uh, somebody there who takes has that sort of uh, attitude. And uh, I wish you the best. Uh, you'll your your uh, enthusiasm will grace the, the county now. And um, hopefully we don't settle into despair after you part <laughs> having that. But my best to you. Any other speakers? I do not have any speaker slips, but if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I will call on you. And I don't see any hands. Okay. All right. Moving on to our next item. That is item D1, bid protest and award of a construction contract for the Equal Street and Fowler Road extensions project. Includes the Hollister Avenue slash State Route 217 undercrossing project and Hollister Avenue bridge replacement project. Thank you. Right. Nina, you're going to kick us off, right? <laughs> I guess what I, I will say that um, this is a, I, I think I'm supposed to say this at this point in time, this hearing is classified um, as a public hearing, but it is a bid protest hearing. The council will hear from staff and any public wishing to comment. The bid protester, Granite Construction, and the apparent lowest bidder, Security Paving. During the bid pro protest hearing, the City Council shall follow the following procedures. Um, the City Council shall first hear the staff report, and um, then we'll go into ex parte discussion. And following the staff presentation, the City Council shall, we will open public comment. Um, Granite Construction will make a presentation, uh, five minutes, following Granite presentation, the City Council shall allow security paving to rebut the arguments and evidence produced by Granite, another five minutes, and then the Council, the City Council in its discretion may permit rebuttals and serve rebuttals by the parties, and they'll have each have two minutes each. At the conclusion of the bid protest hearing, the City Council will make a recommendation to either a, reject the bid protest and direct the City Council to award a construction 
um, contract to the um, apparent lowest bidder, Security Paving. B, accept the bid protest and find that Security Paving's bid is not responsive and direct the city manager to award a construction um, contract to Granite Construction. Um, and then exercise, and C, exercise its right to reject all bids. So I'm reading this because we don't often, um, I think this might be my first, um, so I want to make sure I'm making sure we're doing it right. So at this point, we'll have the staff's uh, report. Good evening, Madam Mayor and Council Members. Before we begin, I would like to note that minor changes were made to the PowerPoint presentation to refine that this is a bid protest hearing. I am Nina Buelna, your Assistant Public Works Director. Project Connect is the largest capital improvement project undertaken by the city to date and is 25 years in the making. We are reaching a major milestone tonight and I am joined by the project manager, Ms. Angeles, and the CIP manager, Ms. Glazer, who are presenting on the bid protest and recommendation to award const the construction contract for Project Connect. I would like to highlight the scale of this project and share points, short, share data points regarding the project improvements. This project will place over 6,000 cubic yards of concrete, which is equivalent to filling up two Olympic-sized swimming pools. We will be placing over 16,000 tons of asphalt, which is equivalent to paving 23 football fields two inches in depth. We are installing 6,000 linear feet of piles for the bridge and channel structure, which is over a mile of piles. And the pile diameters are between 36 and 60 inches. That's The 60 inches is my height, so they're pretty big. We're going to plant approximately 125 new trees, 6,500 new shrubs, which yields 5.3 acres of mitigation planning, which is approximately 49 basketball courts. The project design was completed in early August and was advertised to call for bids August 17, 2023, with the bid opening October 9, 2023. The contract documents make up 571 plan sheets. The bid book is over 1,200 pages, and there are 387 bid items. During the bid period, staff conducted a pre-bid meeting, issued seven addendums, answered 70 bid questions, and followed all federal, state, and city requirements. This is an impressive undertaking that, task has that staff has performed and something I'm proud to be a part of. I would like, the, I would like to give the presentation over now to Ms. Angeles. Thank you. Good evening, Madam Mayor and members of the City Council. This evening, I will be providing a brief project background. Thank you. This evening, I will be providing a brief project background, providing a report on a bid protest that the city received, and recommending that the council award a construction contract for Project Connect to, secure, to Security Paving Company. The city's Equal Street and Fowler Road Extensions Project and Hollister Avenue Bridge Project are two projects located in Old Town Goleta that have been in development for many years and are considered two of the highest priority transportation projects in the city. The two project locations overlap each other along Hollister Avenue near the Hollister Avenue and State Route 217 interchange. 
This overlap prompted the decision to construct the two projects under a single construction contract and thereby minimize disruption and lane closures along Hollister Avenue during construction. The combined projects are referred to as Project Connect. Project Connect will improve traffic circulation in Old Town by installing two roundabouts at the Hollister Avenue and State Route 217 ramp intersections. Additionally, a new bridge will replace the existing Hollister Avenue bridge over San Jose Creek to achieve a to achieve 100-year storm flood storm flow extent capacity. I'm sorry. The project will also construct a new road, the Equal Street extension across Old Town Goleta from South Kellogg Avenue to Fairview Avenue, and will extend the existing South Street to Technology Drive, which will become the future Fowler Road. The new streets will have one travel lane in each direction, along with left turn pockets, class two bike lanes, sidewalks, and landscape parkways that will extend along both roadways. The project will also construct a roundabout at the Pine Avenue and Equal Street extension. Bids for Project Connect were opened virtually via Planet Bids and publicly read aloud at City Hall on October 9th. A total of two bids were received from Security Paving Company and Granite Construction Company. The engineer's estimate for construction costs was $55,021,811.70. Security Paving is the apparent lowest responsible bidder at $62,746,460.70. The bid amount was over 14% more than the engineer's estimate, which is in line with industry standard variances. Granite's bid amount is over 41% more than the engineer's estimate. Now I will turn the presentation over to Mrs. Glazer to discuss project funding. Good evening. As discussed during our October 30th CIP discussion, Project Connect has a total project cost of approximately $100 million. Our project was unfunded by approximately $22 million. During that discussion, staff recommended a funding strategy to fund the total project. These funding appropriations are included to, in tonight's staff report. In addition, an additional $2.5 million is being requested to increase the change order authority on the overall project to cover the Hollister Old Town interim striping project for a total project cost of approximately $103 million. On October 27th, a bid protest was filed by Granite Construction and supplemental information was submitted on October 31st. Granite's protest contends that Security Paving, the apparent low bidder, submitted a non-responsive bid by failing to meet the 21% Disadvantaged Business Enterprise, DBE, participation goal, and failed to perform good faith efforts to meet the goal. The protest also alleges that Security Paving failed to meet the project required experience for the mitigation restoration work. The City of Goleta submitted Exhibit 9E, Evaluation of Good Faith Efforts, GFEs, to the Caltrans Office of Civil Rights on November 6, 2023. Using the Subjective DBE Good Faith Efforts Analysis, described in Title 49, Part 26 of the Code of Federal Regulations of the Local Assistance Procedures Manual, LAPM, Chapter 9, Public Works staff, with assistance from the City's Legal Counsel, and construction management team whom have more than 20 years of DBE experience 
spent a significant amount of time performing a very thorough review of security paving's GFEs and found that security paving did demonstrate good faith efforts to meet the DBE contract goal. Chapter 9 of the LAPM states that when an agency establishes a DBE contract goal on a federal aid contract, a bidder must make good faith efforts to meet the DBE contract goal in order to be responsive. The bidder can meet this requirement by either meeting the goal, or if they do not meet the goal, they can provide documentation in support of their adequate GFEs. This means that the bidder must show that they took all necessary and reasonable measures to achieve the DBE contract goal. In any situation in which a DBE contract goal is established, the use of GFEs must be allowed and each local agency must make a fair and reasonable judgment whether a bidder made adequate GFEs. It is important to consider the quality, quantity, and intensity of the different kinds of efforts that the bidder has made. The efforts employed by the bidder should be those that one could reasonably expect a bidder to make if the bidder were actively and aggressively trying to achieve DB, or obtain DBE participation sufficient to meet the DBE contract goal. The LAPM explicitly states that the local agency's determination concerning the sufficiency of the bidder's GFEs is a judgment call, and Caltrans strongly cautions local agencies against requiring that a bidder meet a DBE contract goal in order to be awarded a contract, even though the bidder makes an adequate GFE showing. Security paving made the following good faith efforts in compliance with the guidelines stated in Chapter 9 of the LAPM. They identified DBE firms using the Caltrans CUCP database and solicited quotes through several publications, agencies, and organizations that assist in recruiting DBE firms. 155 DBE firms were contacted and 10 quotes were secured. Out of those 10 DBE firms, seven firms were selected. Three of the firms were rejected due to incomplete or unreasonably high priced quotes. The Code of Federal Regulations states that prime contractors are not required to accept higher quotes from DBEs if the price difference is excessive or unreasonable. Security paving also broke the contract work items into economically feasible units to facilitate DBE participation. Additionally, they provided DBEs with adequate information about the plans, specifications, and contract requirements in a timely manner, and offered assistance with bonding, lines of credit, insurance, equipment, supplies, materials, and other services. On November 27th, the city received a memorandum from Caltrans detailing the engineering support branch's review of the city's GFE evaluation stating that they did not concur with the city's determination that security paving did demonstrate good faith efforts to meet the contract goal. The LAPM states that if Caltrans determines that the GFE is inadequate, the local agency shall take Caltrans feedback into consideration and reevaluate the GFE. If the local agency still finds that the GFE is adequate, they can award the contract or start the negotiation process. The city with the assistance of the legal, city's legal counsel and the project's construction management team thoroughly reevaluated security paving's GFE and once again concluded that security paving took all necessary and reasonable measures to achieve the DBE contract goal. In regard to Granite's allegation that security paving failed to meet the mitigation restoration contractor qualification requirements for the project, 
staff determined that while security paving did not list the subcontractor for the mitigation restoration work, they were only required to identify subcontractors performing work in excess of one half of 1% of their total bid or $10,000, whichever is greater. Per section 6.1 of the bidding instructions of the contract documents and public contract code section 4104. This can indicate that the cost of the mitigation restoration work that is not listed in the subcontractors list may be less than the reporting threshold and disclosure of the scope of work in their subcontractor list would have constituted additional information that was unnecessary due to the amount not being greater than one half of 1% of their total bid. Additionally, the city has an option available to ensure that a qualified restoration contractor is used to perform the work. That option is to issue a unilateral contract change order, CCO, which will direct the contractor to use a qualified contractor. A unilateral CCO is issued by the city without the agreement of the contractor and has the same effect as a contract modification. This process can take place after the construction contract has been executed. If the city rejects the apparent low bidder's bid in favor of the substantially more expensive second low bid, based on a finding that granite and not security paving made a good faith effort to obtain DBE subcontractors on the basis of the highly discretionary criteria set forth in the Code of Federal Regulations and a rejection of the argument that the approximately $15 million difference between the two bids associated with the DBE participation disparity did not reflect a price difference is excessive or unreasonable. The city would have concerns that the apparent low bidder would characterize the action as an arbitrary deviation from the requirements of competitive bidding. The discrepancy between the two lowest bids is so substantial that the city does not believe that the price difference between DBE and non-DBE subcontractors can be characterized as anything other than excessive and unreasonable. For these reasons, staff recommends that council rejects the bid protest and find security paving's bid to be the lowest responsible bid. Staff's recommendation is to award a construction contract to security paving in the amount of $62,746,460.70. The city council has the option to not award a construction contract and reject all bids. However, doing so, may result in the city having to pay back up to $9.9 million to state and federal grant agencies, require the city to give up more than $50.5 million in state and federal grant funding. Within this amount is approximately $11 million that would be lost at the regional level. Defer removal of a 100-year floodplain in eastern Old Town Goleta. Determine legal and funding issues regarding property acquisitions and risk not receiving future grants from many agencies. Staff is recommending that the council adopt a resolution rejecting the bid protest, approving the final plans and specifications, and awarding a construction contract for Project Connect. Authorize the city manager to execute a construction contract with Security Paving Company for Project Connect in the not to exceed amount of $62,740,460.70, subject to the requirements of the contract documents. Authorize the Public Works Director to approve contract change orders for Project Connect, if necessary, in an amount not to exceed 
$801,628.63. And authorized budget appropriations in the amount of $14,095,990.60. That concludes my presentation. Staff is available to answer any questions. Okay, I think at this time we'll do um, ex parte disclosures. Uh, we'll start with Councilmember Cariaco. I have none. Okay, Councilmember um, Kasdan. Do you have any ex parte no, disclosures? I have no, no uh, ex parte to communicate. Okay, and I have no um, ex parte disclosures. Mayor Pro Tem Reyes Martin. I have none. And Councilmember Richards. No ex parte. Okay, then we can. Um, what staff has recommended on my uh, sheet is that we go to public comment first, and then um, after the presentation, after that, presentations. Okay. So at this time, we'll go to public comment. <clears throat> Madam Mayor, I do not have any speaker slips for this item, but if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand, and I will call on you. And I do not see any hands raised. Okay. So... Um, then we'll have um, a presentation by Granite Construction. Mayor and council members, thank you for the opportunity to present Granite's bid protest for Project Connect. My name is Larry Camilleri, and I am the Vice President of Regional Operations for Granite Construction in Central California. Granite has served Santa Barbara County since the 1970s, and our regional office is located in Goleta. Over the past 50 years, we've built several keystone projects on the Central Coast, and we are proud of the relationships we've built in the community. This project is an important project for the community moving many properties above the 100-year flood zone. It relieves traffic congestion and revitalizes Old Town. We took the time to understand this complex project, submitting 62 of the 69 total bidder inquiries before the project bid. Some of the bidder inquiries were not answered by the addendum prior to the due date of the bid. Per the bid documents, approximately 200 trees will be removed during construction. The mitigation ratio is 10 to 1, and the goal of the restoration work is to fulfill the requirements of the EIR. Per the bid documents, the prime contractor must list a restoration contractor that has successfully completed the installation and long-term maintenance of a minimum of three native habitat restoration projects each over three acres in Southern or Central California. The project also has federal funding and is subject to a 21% DBE goal. Granite identified 653 potential DBE firms for the project. Security paving only identified 155 DBE firms. Granite met the 21% DBE goal with 16.4 million in DBE participation. 
from 18 DBE firms. Security paving did not meet the goal and only included 6.4 million in DBE participation, less than half of the project goal, and only utilized seven DBE firms. The city should reject security paving's bid based on the following. Security paving did not list a qualified restoration mitigation subcontractor and therefore did not meet the requirements of the project. Security paving did not meet the DBE goal. Security paving did not perform an adequate good faith effort as evidenced by Caltrans determination that security pavement did not make all necessary and reasonable steps to achieve the DBE goal. Caltrans review provides consistency and a level playing field for all bidders. Caltrans is also responsible for oversight of the DBE program in California and is tasked to ensure consistent application of the federal regulations throughout the state at all levels. Their determination should not be ignored or trivialized, trivialized on any project, including projects with federal funds. Granite's bid materially changes if Granite does not meet the DBE goal similar to security paving. Granite requests the city reject all bids and rebid the project with a level playing field where all bidders are required to comply with the bidding requirements of the project. Granite also believes the city is at risk for spending considerably more money than the amount of security paving's bid due to the numerous bidder inquiries that were not satisfactorily addressed by the addenda, which exposes the city to numerous contract changes and budget overruns. As a member of the community and a taxpayer, Granite believes it is in the city's best interest to reject all bids, solicit contractor feedback to address the potential contract changes and rebid the project. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, next would be security paving. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Joe Ferdino, Vice President of Security Paving. Been with the company going on 37 years. I've been in the industry 42 years. I don't know what you folks know about security paving, but uh, we've been in business since the 40s. We do about 400 million a year up and down the state from Sacramento to the Mexican border. Um, any given year, we're probably the, easily the top five contractors for this type of work in the state. Um, so I, I just wanted to give you a little background on the, on the uh, company. This is my ex uh, assistant, Kylie Dominguez. She prepares the good faith efforts and, um, and coordinates the, the uh, bid. Um, <coughs> we conformed to the contract. We, we definitely did a good faith effort. We placed ads in four different uh, 
magazines, you know, that type of thing. Two of them ran ads every day for, looks like almost three weeks. Construction update ran twice. The green sheet ran once. Um, we emailed everybody that uh, we downloaded from the, um, the uh, CUCP database. We emailed them once. We emailed them twice. We faxed the subs. These are all done anywhere from you know 11 to 19 days prior to the bid date. Um, Kylie made phone calls on two occasions. Um, so all that is you know what's required as a for a good faith effort. I'll, I'll speak to you a little bit why our goal is a little low. Normally, 85 to 90 percent of the time we meet the goal. I do everything I can to meet the goal. Um, in this case, we didn't get a lot of action. Our, this, the, like the drilling sub that Nina was talking about earlier, it's Condon Johnson. Their price is almost $5.6 and they, they bid on six items. It's the drilling, the drilling work, the soil nail work. Uh, if you don't know what soil nail is, is it's it's a basically a tie back that you punch back into the soil, and the shotcrete that goes over the face of it. Um, so they 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 covered all five of those scopes. Hillside, a DB company that does work for us, they're on two or three of our jobs right now for Caltrans. They only covered three of the items, mainly the drilling items. They didn't quote the soil now and shotcrete. So their their price was 5.2 million or 5.1 million for their share of the work. We contacted Condon Johnson the day of the bid and asked them if they'd be willing to just do the soil now and the shotcrete, which is only 11% of their scope that they quoted. They told us, no, we don't, you know, we want, you know, we don't want to take that small uh, interest in this job. So we're, um, you know, forced into using a non-DB on that item. Another one was Vista Steel, a DB company. They have a, a yard here in Goleta, actually. Um, they only quoted two of the, the rebar items, two out of 16. Um, they quoted the, the items that pertain to the open channel or the, the box culvert. I think it's, is it not Eckwell or Fowler um, on that portion of the job? They didn't quote any of the work on Hollister and, and the channel work. And about two weeks after the job bid, uh, Maria DiMaggio, the owner of the company, who, who I've known for 30 years called me up and apologized to me. She goes, I'm sorry I didn't quote all the items. Um, I didn't realize there was these other items because of the you know, two sets of plans combined into one. She didn't realize there was all these other rebar items and that's why she didn't quote them all. But the items she did quote, she was $282,000. CMC, the company we selected was $128,000. So she, she was like 82% higher. I'm sorry, she was 233,000 and CMC was 128,000, 82% difference. So, you know, when we bid a job, we look at all these things, we try to put together the best price for the, the owner and keep in mind to do the best we can for, on the DBE portion. Um, that's really all I got to say. If, if you have any questions, I, I'll be more than happy to answer them for you. We take questions that no, we, we have a rebuttal, right? It's, it, we'll get back to you if we okay, have any questions. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Um, at this time, Granite can re give a rebuttal, rebut. Thank you again for the opportunity to speak. <clears throat> I'll highlight a couple of key points. Um, granite meeting the DBE goal when compared, contrasted to securities DBE participation. If security is selected for the project, there'll be 11 DBE minority firms that were not afforded the opportunity to participate on the project. That's a big deal on a federally funded project. Um, security made the point we didn't get a lot of action. Uh, that doesn't surprise me given the fact that when you contrast how many firms we contacted, 653 versus the 155 that security paving contracted, it doesn't surprise me that there wasn't a lot of action and I think that's indicative of their good faith effort. Again, we understand the funding constraints on the project. That's why our request is to reject all bids. We think that's fair. As it stands right now, it's not a level playing field. A level playing field is imp critically important in a competitive bid environment. Our bid materially changes if we do not meet the DBE goal. We included costs for partnering in the project, which is not a contract requirement. We recognize that there are a tremendous amount of issues on the job that need to be resolved. Again, this is why we feel it's in the city's best interest, the taxpayer's best interest, to work to resolve some of these issues, rebid the project with a level playing field. Again, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Um, security, um, paving, do you have any? No, okay. Um, and I guess I go to council for questions. Uh, any questions? Councilmember Kiriakou. Uh, just two questions, probably one for public work staff and maybe one for the attorney. Um, I'm just going to ask the, the question plainly as possible because we have to rely on your professional judgment in these situations. I, I can't become an expert on contracting and how DBEs work. Um, I can do my best. Was it a level playing field? Point blank. Was it a level playing field? Council Member Kiriako, yes, it was a pl level playing field. Staff spent over a year reviewing the plan specs and estimates, ensuring that we had everything in the bid documents. In addition to that, we answered all questions. We may not have been specific with the questions because it's in the contract documents. So we put bid the project as you read the contract documents. Um, but we met all federal, state, and city requirements. And the DBE is not a quota. It's the good faith efforts. They have to follow that process. And staff has reviewed that. And we are confident that security payment met the good faith efforts. Okay. And then for my attorney. Is there anything in the administrative record or anything that you've reviewed in relation to this process that leads you to believe that a good faith effort uh, was not put forward here? I believe a good faith effort was put, I don't wanna, I don't wanna screw this you up. You don't wanna double negative. negative. Yeah, um, 
you believe a good council faith member effort. Council member Kiriaka, I believe a good faith effort was put forward. Okay, thank you. Council member um, Kazdan. Wait, I, we're, I think you're muted. We can't hear you. There we go, how's there that? You go. Uh, so it was asserted or implied that by taking the low bid, it's a it's sort of fool's gold. It's a chimera, and that um, cost overruns and um, that uh, you know budget um, reviews and so forth that the adjustments will be made, and so it would end up not being as ex inexpensive. That the low bid is actually um, ultimately not going to be the the um, cheapest. Can you speak to that? Is that not true? Is that, uh, what's your reaction? Council member Kasdan, um, I don't agree with that statement. Staff, again, has spent hours um, with consultants and the construction management team reviewing the plans and specs and um, creating a document that is restrictive and in my opinion, very tight, and we are gonna hold the contractor accountable. We also have mechanisms in place where we're gonna have um, a CMT team um, enforce the bid documents. So I'm very confident that we followed all requirements of the federal, state, and city requirements within the documents. Okay, and that it doesn't create, therefore, the conditions or the environment by underbidding to boost it subsequently. That's correct. There are things that will happen during construction, like unforeseen utilities. However, right. that's normal in a construction project. And that would be true of either bid. <coughs> that's correct. Okay, thank you. Uh, Councilmember Richards. Thank you. Uh, well, it seems like from what we heard that there were two primary concerns are that there was not a good faith e effort by security, um, which I think we've heard categorically that our staff and our attorney is saying that after investigating in, with the full record and the information that they're ass assessing that it, there was a good faith effort, um, even if it didn't meet the goal. And as we heard, that goal was not a quota, but a target um, to, to attempt to be met um, with a good faith effort. And then the second um, issue was whether that there was a qualified environmental mitigation subcontractor, and that uh, was disputed by Granite about uh, who, who we have for security. Can you speak to that? Council Member Richards, we've discussed this with our attorney, and the mitigation contract um, is surface, essentially. So what happens is when we go through the process and we start looking at submittals, the contractor is required to meet all the contract documents. And if what they're presenting to us does not, we will submit a unilateral change order to enforce the contract documents at no additional cost to the city. Okay, so we're, we're taking the, them for their word that, that they do, but if we find out later that that, that that person or that firm is not qualified, then we can change it and make sure that they are. That's correct. Okay. All right, that's all the questions I have. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Carriaco. Thank you. Just uh, one additional question. Would it be fair to characterize the original engineer's estimate 
way back when we conceived of this project, would it be fair to characterize an engineer's estimate also as a goal? Uh, Councilmember Kiriako, Mayor Perotti, that, that's true. That is what an in, well, let me, let me back up a second. We work with preliminary cost estimates and ultimately when a project is prepared right before it goes out to bid, uh, an engineer's estimate is created. And that's when we know everything about the project, we know what we think it's gonna cost, where all the line items are, everything. That's the engineer's estimate. Over the years, the city has been working with what's called a preliminary cost estimate. That's where you don't know everything about the project. You make some large assumptions often of what the project is gonna entail and what the cost might be. And so I think that's an important thing that we will work on more with city council and the public and, and even our staff, making sure everybody understands the difference between a preliminary cost estimate and an engineer's estimate. And when you look at our current capital improvement program, for example, when we brought that to the city council on October 30th, what you saw there were preliminary cost estimates. These are our judgment of what these projects will cost at this time. And as we work towards delivering the projects, we adjust those preliminary cost estimates for a couple reasons. One of them is that we start to know more and more about the project, but also we start to know more and more about the bidding climate, inflation, uh, construction cost inflation, that kind of thing. And as we've seen, one of the things that's occurred in the last two or three years is construction costs have skyrocketed, sometimes mu as much as 30 to 40% a year. So that's what we've had to do as staff in the public works department is sort of catch up with that because inflation became so extreme. So that's the difference between a preliminary cost estimate that we normally work with, and then right before we bid the project, we have the engineer's estimate. Okay, so you made a good faith effort as a department to deliver a a process from the point of preliminary estimates through the finalized construction estimate. And then at the end of the day, that isn't what we got, obviously. Uh, Mayor Prodi, Councilmember Kiriako, um, we did adjust the engineer's estimate based on some recent experiences, as you well know. And uh, we adjusted that uh, substantially up based on recent inflation and what we know about construction cost and the final components of the project. And then ultimately, the apparent low bidder's bid of approximately 60, $62 million was within 14% of our engineer's estimate, which is roughly considered uh, within industry standard. And we as engineers do want to have good engineer's estimate. We want to be as close as possible so decision makers can make good decisions. And that was within what's considered reasonable and industry standard of being that close with our engineer's estimate. Thank you. Well, I have no questions. Um, my questions that I had have been asked and answered. So um, I guess we could go into um, making a motion. Or um, I, I, I will say that, um, you know, from what I've heard um, and what others have said, I, I feel confident that the, um, what staff is recommending is um, is the direction we should go. But that's just my feeling. So, <coughs> Council um, or Mayor Pro Tem, Reyes Martin. I'll just also add that my my questions were asked, um, and I appreciate all the staff time and the presentation tonight to generate further discussion. 
Councilmember um, Carioco. Oh, uh, Councilmember Kasdan, I see your hand now. Uh, whoops, yeah. Uh, so I had just had a comment that was separate or independent from the uh, question of the bidding. And uh, this would be the time to make that comment. Is that right? You know, because we have other items on the, um, as part of the, our series of motions. Is that City Manager? Madam, Madam Mayor, when you get to the point of um, uh, making motions, we do recommend that you do two separate motions. And so I think to Councilmember Kasdan's point, there's other elements of the project you may want to talk about. Um, so recommendation B, deals with the bid protest, we would recommend that you take a motion take for that item and then take a separate motion for the remainder of the items. Okay. Okay. Then I will, uh, my hand has now been withdrawn. Okay. Thank you. Councilor Richards? Yeah, thank you. You know, I, I realize that we, we keep talking about DBEs and Unless people have read the staff report, they might not know what that those are. So, you know, just in, um, you know, th this is a, a federal program, disadvantaged business enterprises that require uh, 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 federal contracts to have a certain uh, percent or at least uh, a goal. And as we heard, not a quota, but a target of trying to meet a certain percentage of their subcontractors um, to do the work through these uh, disadvantaged uh, business enterprises. And, you know, this is. This was meant as a way to ensure that small and disadvantaged businesses, um, including those that are owned by underrepresented minorities and women, um, get a fair shake at, 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 the, at the work that's there. It's designed to remedy ongoing discrimination in business and construction practices and to correct effects of past discrimination um, in highway and transit projects. So just so that everyone's clear, you know, and, and these are goals, I think, that we can all agree that we support, you know, so it's not that we're trying to, uh, you know, we as a city are not trying to, you know, get away from those goals. Uh, you know, we, we would hope that any of our contractors uh, would meet those goals. And so, you know, here we're looking at one that, that, that wasn't met. But again, you know, this is a, a target. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, not a quota, but something to aspire to. And we would hope that it would, but um, there are obviously good reasons that we would have that, that they that they didn't meet their goals and so you know what we're what we're saying is that we're you know I, I'm agreeing uh, with our staff and our analysis that that security paving did make a good faith effort to try to meet those goals even if they if they didn't realize them so I, you know I just want to just provide that context and say that yeah I, I, I do um, support the that uh, resolution um, um, under item B recommendation um, to uh, reject the bid protest and I'm happy to make that motion or if we want um, we can continue other discussion at this point. Thank you. If you're making a motion I'll be happy to support it. I, I just want to thank everyone for their their work on this process uh, both bidders. I wish we'd gotten more bidders. I would have liked to have had three or four or more on on this project. It's such an important uh, project for the city. It started uh, 25 years ago or more um, you know, there's people involved in the bidding process that were actually part of the Old Town revitalization process that led to the recommendation for so many of these projects to actually go forward. So there's sort of a personal element to, for this. Um, also, there's there's people that kind of helped initiate this that are bidding on trying to be part of delivering the project. And so 
Um, that's one of the great things about being in a small town is those kinds of things happen. We have people that are engaged in this community and care about this community. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's unfortunate. I can't, you know, I was, I was intrigued by some of the things that were put forward in the arguments, but I ultimately wasn't persuaded uh, that staff fumbled the ball here I, 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 or that anyone else did. Um, I think a good faith effort was, was done. Um, and we, we go forward. And it's also just unfortunate that the difference between the two bids was so, st was so stark. I mean, $14.7 million. That's not so much a gap as it is a chasm. It's a lot of money. And it's a lot of money to a small city. Um, uh, but in terms of, uh, for this situation, in terms of just strictly looking at the criteria, I can't make the findings that there is reason to support the bid protest. Uh, so if council member, Councilmember Richards wants to make the motion. I'd be happy to second it. Oh. Yeah, Mayor, would you like to take that now, or should we? Um, yeah, we, uh, why don't we take that now? Okay. Um, well, and, and one other comment I wanted to make, you know, with regard to Granite, you know, we recognize that uh, this is a, a, a contractor that we have had a long relationship with, and has, uh, you know, we've had a very positive relationship, and it's unfortunate that we're here today uh, talking about this um, and, and dealing with this, but. I do hope that we can continue to have a, a fruitful relationship again, you know, in the future. Um, so uh, I will move that after um, considering the testimony presented during the public hearing that we adopt resolution number 23 next in order entitled a resolution of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, rejecting bid protest, approving the final plans and specifications and awarding construction contract for the Equal Street and Fowler Road extensions project which includes the Hollister Avenue State Route 217 Undercrossing Project and Hollister Avenue Bridge Replacement Project. And I'll second. Okay. Roll call, please. Councilmember Kiriako? Aye. Councilmember Richards? Yes. Councilmember Kasdan? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempo Reyes Martin? Aye. And Mayor Perotti? Aye. Okay, it's unanimous. Let's have it. So now we're looking at um, taking the rest of the um, motions. Yes. Okay. All right. Councilmember uh, Kiriako? Yeah. So um, I'm prepared to make a motion, and then perhaps we can have an opportunity after there's been a motion, and if there's a second to then just maybe discuss it before we have a roll call vote. Um, but I'll move that after considering the testimony presented during, oh, excuse me, we did that one. Uh, I'll, I'll move we authorize the city manager to execute a construction contract with Security Paving Company Incorporated for the Equal Street and Fowler Road Extensions Project, includes the Hollister Avenue State Route 217 Undercrossing Project and Hollister Avenue Bridge Replacement Project in the not-to-exceed amount of $62,746,460.70, subject to the requirements of the contract documents, um, and authorize the Public Works Director to approve contract change orders for the Equal Street and Fowler Road Extensions Project, includes the Hollister Avenue State Route 217 Undercrossing Project and Hollister Avenue Bridge Replacement Project, if necessary, in an amount not to exceed $8,801,628.63, and authorize budget appropriations in the amount of $14,905,000 $990.60 from various funds as identified in Table 2 of the Fiscal Impact Section of the Staff Report accompanying this agenda item and 
direct staff to prepare a financing reimbursement resolution for consideration and pursue tax-exempt financing as a contingency should Measure A funding not be available. Do I have a second? Councilmember Kasdan? Oh, no. No, I, I had a comment. Okay. I wasn't well, let's ready do, to Let's second. try and do a second and then. I'll second that. Okay. All right. Councilmember Kasdan. Yeah. So I'm not going to repeat the concerns that I had raised before and, and go into that, but I guess I just want, wanted to offer really more than anything, probably a few conclusions that I don't, you know, and people can dispute it if they wish, but this wasn't our highest priority sort of work. I don't foresee that the route from Yardy to uh, Winslow is going to be attracting a ton of traffic. Nobody's driving off of Hollister in order to go a couple of blocks to go down to Kellogg. Um, and I just don't foresee that that portion, the Equal Fowler portion, is really going to contribute on its own uh, significantly. There are benefits. I'm not saying there are zero benefits or anything like that. But of all the public works projects we have out there, that wouldn't have been the highest. Okay. Having said that, Having said that, we do have an Old Town visioning process coming, and that process will look at how to make the most, how to, um, you know, come up with a common vision for the area. And what I'm hopeful of is that even if right now I don't see massive benefits to that project, the Equifowler portion, it doesn't mean it can't be established, it can't be created. Along that route is uh, of the 3,400 feet of that route, 3,000 of that is eligible for housing. Now, I'm not saying housing is automatic, but we're able to put to zone it to uh, make housing possible. And the area, you know, there'll be nice things there putting in um, landscaping and bike paths and, and other things that amenities that potentially could make it. We were criticized by a number of speakers at us being seemingly flat-footed when it came to having a vision for where to go with our housing in, the, in, the, in this housing element, that we were reactive to what the state brought us and unable to kind of present how we wanted to see it in a way as opposed to just being imposed upon by the state. And I think that this at least gives us an opportunity to create our vision and to make, to justify. To me, I need to, if we don't have housing, we. Uh oh. Councilmember Kasdan, you're frozen. Ah, crap. Oh, you're back. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we heard that. I gather that part came through. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but I, what I was saying is that we have a process that we've established and we put money aside for it, and it gives us an opportunity to make the most of this investment that we're, we're proposing today and to make sure that it achieves the maximum amount for that area and benefits that area. So 
you know, I, I, uh, we're putting in sidewalks, landscaping. Uh, I can imagine it could really be, uh, you know, a lovely, um, a lovely place and a wonderful opportunity. And I hope in the future we do that. So with that hope, uh, I'll be supporting it. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you, Councilmember Caston. I appreciate uh, your comments, uh, uh, including the ones about um, moving forward with Old Town Visioning. Uh, the last time there was a visioning process um, for Old Town, uh, it ended in 1998, and um, there were a lot of important uh, community members that are part of that process in no particular order. Brian Larinen, Gene Bloys, um, Phil Lunander, uh, Kitty Bedner, um, a, lot of, a lot of names that, of people who have been really um, important parts of this community. And so many of the goals or uh, aspects of what are now in what we call Project Connect really started in that prior visioning process. Uh, Hollister Avenue, reconstructing and fixing the actual road, fixing the bridge, um, 217 access modifications, Equal Street extension, Fowler Road extension. Um, these are several of the items that were in Table 2 proposed transportation improvements in the Goleta Old Town revitalization plan. Uh, bikeway improvements, San Jose Creek, uh, bike path, um, so many of the things that Glita has talked about going back to before it was a city have an opportunity to begin getting accomplished tonight. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Um, and I think that uh, Councilmember Kasdan touched upon many of the possibilities that could exist for us when, when this is done. Uh, but in, in that prior process, they identified different areas that were um, key sites, and I just want to uh, talk about a couple of them. Uh, one of them was um, just called Airport Plaza. We now know that is the Yardy site. Um, another one um, is actually for an area of Old Town that most people don't even really think of as Old Town. So many of us just think of Old Town as being a couple of blocks of, of Hollister with the frontages, or maybe they think about the housing on the north side, and they don't realize that there's you know, non-conforming housing on, on streets you may have never heard of, Matthews, Placentia, Daly, Olney. There's these streets that aren't really served. They don't really have infrastructure. They don't have an easy path to get east-west. And the, the 1998 plan and so much of what this work effort has been about has been... Um, rectifying things that have been known issues, not only since the Old Town Plan, going back to the 1993 Eastern Goleta Valley Community Plan before we were a city. Um, the need for circulation improvements, the need for an east-west corridor going, th going through on the south side of Hollister. These things were contemplated in the 93 plan at a time when there was no interest from the county of Santa Barbara and doing any housing in the ag block. In fact, if you look at the 93 Eastern, Eastern Goleta Valley plan, it specifically, specifically says, don't contemplate equal changes at this time, not feasible, unless ag conversion to housing. Well, guess what's about to happen along the South Patterson ag block? 
they're about to convert about 2,500, uh, that land into about 2,500 uh, units of housing unless they pull some sites off of the list and don't rezone them. So this has been a long time in coming. The county had identified before we identified the need for transportation improvements through this area um, for circulation, just for throughput for cars, but also for pedestrians and, um, and bike, bike improvements. So much of that is actually now gonna happen here. It's a momentous evening for Goleta. Um, it's, it's also, I, I also know it's challenging for some of us because the price tag, because we're doing this kind of all at once. And I know a lot of us thought that with uh, Measure B coming and with some other things, that we, there was a feeling that perhaps we'd be a little more flush. And I would just remind us of a few things. One is this is a multi-year effort. Um, you, you d we're not gonna be spending all the money at once. The, the second thing I'll say, and this kind of goes back to some of my earlier comments about the Eastern Goleta Valley Plan and the, the Old Town Revitalization Plan, there's been a recognition at the county level for decades that there was a need for transportation mitigation through this corridor, even at a time when there was not anticipated to be ag conversion to housing. So there are opportunities for the city uh, to work with our regional partners, to work with some of the developers that may get an opportunity um, to do projects in the South Patterson corridor, to do CEQA mitigation, to get contributions towards the cost of this project or other projects that would help to mitigate some of those cumulative impacts of growth. Doesn't mean that's a reason to do something. It doesn't mean it's a reason to support some of the things that are being contemplated by other agencies. But I do think it's something that we should look at as this is really the beginning of the conversation about implementing this project and how, we're gonna, how it's ultimately gonna get paid for. I, I think there's opportunities for other, other dollars to come into play that can help soften the blow of this. Um, if I had to start over today, would I want to do every single aspect of this project? Probably not. I think I'd try and find another way to address drainage on Fowler, just, just saying. Um, but I also, I also feel that in some ways, the fact that we're not doing the original vision for Fowler uh, is a missed opportunity because there's neighborhood, there's a little neighborhood that could have really benefited if Fowler had been extended. And, and there's a community over there that contends not just with airport noise, but the Goleta Sanitary District is right there. Um, there are a lot of impacts for that neighborhood and anything that we could do to provide some level of support, some level of infrastructure for them um, would be valuable, would be appropriate, would be right. Um, so I'll just, I'll stop there. Um, and if anyone else wants to comment, uh, great. And then I'd be, um, and then we can well, we have do a what motion. we need to do. We have a motion <laughs> on the floor. Yeah. We, um, we did get a second. And um, um, Count, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Reyes-Martin has something to say. And then I have a question for legal um, quickly. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, at the last time we talked about this, I, you know, I did express a lot of reservations about this project, particularly about the financing. Um, I think it's important, you know, in the staff report, and we've mentioned it many times, that this is a project that predates cityhood. Um, and it's really, you know, difficult to now be in this position more than 20 years later where um, now we're talking about, you know, this really massive project with a huge price tag. 
Um, I, I will be supporting the, the recommendations tonight. Um, and I know that staff and council have heard my uh, concerns about how we try to keep this on budget as much as possible, how we you know, complete the project, um, and how we find anywhere we possibly can some outside dollars to help support the unfunded piece of this. Um, I think also along those lines, you know, with a lot of these um, major projects, there may not necessarily be um, another, uh, you know, action or, or for us to take here at council or another staff report that comes back. But being such a massive project for the city, um, and I did mention this to our city manager, um, I, I would like to see, you know, kind of a status update on this project with some regularity, whether that's twice a year, you know, whatever makes sense. Um, to keep us informed of how things are going. Are we on track? What's going on? I know that the project includes um, very robust public outreach, and I think that's going to be essential. Um, but having it come to council gives us opportunities to you know, make sure that our questions are asked and the public an opportunity to come and address us. So I was going to add that as well. Thank you. I just want to thank my colleagues <clears throat> for um, all their comments and um, um, and I know there's a couple more, and, and uh, you know, I feel like I have really nothing to add to this because you said it all so well. Um, but I do have, um, and I know that um, Councilmember Kasdan has his hand up, and I know um, Councilmember Richards also would like to speak. But we have had a, a request from a speaker to speak. Um, is that allowed at this point? I, I'm not quite sure. This is a new process for me, so. We have a motion. We have a second. We, we're now making our comments. Um, when we're finished, do we take a vote and then listen to the speaker or have the speaker come up? Uh, Madam Mayor, if speaker is with um, Granite. It's up, at this point, it's your, up to your discretion. We've had the public comment process. If you're um, inclined to allow an additional public comment, based on this request at this point, I recommend you do so prior to taking the remaining actions. R prior to the vote? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's do that. Let's, um, Councilmember Richards, if you have something you'd like to say now. Okay. Okay. Then let's ha call the speaker, please. We have a speaker slip from Brian Larinen of Granite Construction. Good evening. Thank you. Mayor Perotti, City Council members, I'm Brian Lernan. I'm with the Granite Construction. I'm the Chief Mist uh, Estimator locally here. I just wanted to follow up on a letter we did previously. We are concerned, as Mr. Camilleri shared, of just having a level playing field in the contracting environment, okay? Our concern we brought up in a previous letter uh, was is hit in one of the parts of the motion, um, I believe with the change order authorization, the Old Town Interim Striping Project will be awarded or negotiated and then awarded with this motion without any approval later by the City Council. So I think it's important that we consider it now. Our concern is, we know it's from your previous discussion, it's probably over $3 million worth of work. And what's being asked is for the City staff to negotiate with one contractor for a dollar amount that large. And we've looked at the Goleta Municipal Code We've looked at the California Contractor Code, and we can't see how this is allowed legally. So if somebody could please tell us, for our understanding of the local contracting environment, is how is this allowed legally? 
Thank you. Thank you. I, I can start and then turn it over to the city attorney. The, the action, uh, I think it's action E, uh, does not directly have anything to do with the restriping project. That authorization is, is standard part of our construction um, contract process to authorize an amount for change orders generally. So generally, um, change orders are going to be 10%, or maybe in this case it's 15% of the contract amount. And you've, what you're doing with this action is simply authorizing that amount for our budgeting, budgeting purposes so we have that in front of us. Um, previously, I think a month ago, um, mm -hmm. all bids were rejected for the restriping project. And at that time, we did say, should this step be taken tonight, we would come back at a later date to consider that option to include that work as a change order. But that's not what's being voted on tonight. Okay. Thank you for that. Understood that clearly. Councilmember Richards. Nope. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just wanted to provide some comments before we vote on this, and uh, thank you for the clarification on that last question. And Councilmember Kasdan, I do see your hand. You're next. Yeah, I, I wanted to just respond to some of the concerns about, you know, you know, maybe this isn't uh, everyone's top priority at this point. And I think it's, I, I don't want to repeat everything, but I know it was mentioned that, you know, this has been a, a, a priority uh, for the community uh, way before cityhood. So this, uh, this predated any of us being here um, or any of us on council uh, or, or even before. Um, so, and I also want to point out that, you know, just for the record, you know, it's been in our strategic plan at least since 2017 since I've been on the council. So, I mean, we've had several strategic plans that have called out that what we're doing here. And if, if this wasn't a priority, then it, then it shouldn't have been in our strategic plan because, you know, uh, you know that's what guides us and that's what uh, uh, sets the priorities for the work that we do. Um, it, it w this project, I, I'm convinced, will be transformative for Old Town in terms of the circulation improvements, the east-west connection uh, getting from uh, Fairview over to Kellogg, um, it, something that's not always mentioned or highlighted, it, you know, it's obviously a huge thing, is the improved drainage and the, the new bridge that will go over Hollister, uh, which will help to prevent flooding, as we know that that bridge right now is failing. Um, and it, it only was designed as a 25-year flood, flood capacity bridge. Uh, this new design and the new project will uh, increase that to 100 years. And so anyone who's been around uh, Goleta uh, since the 90s at least remembers seeing uh, you know, all of you know, Old Town flooded. So, so this will increase, uh, uh, reduce insurance rates for any residents that live in the area and increase the property values in general. Um, by not having to worry about the flooding. The bridge will also allow for a, a, a fish passage of the steelhead trout um, to be able to get uh, north of Hollister um, into the San Jose Creek bed area, into the natural area. Um, and and, and, and there, I think there are many benefits uh, to that, to the improved uh, uh, bi biological functioning of that creek in that area. Um, and the inc inc improved uh, bicycle infrastructure, uh, possible um, um, MTD uh, routes and transits, uh, area, you know, th there'll be some actual circulation uh, possibilities uh, through Old Town that don't exist now that will allow people to get from A to B without going on to Hollister. And I think I brought this up last time. If anyone has ever seen the army of UPS trucks that come out 
of, 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 of their facility on Pine, and then they, they immediately head toward Hollister and then turn left or right, this will correct that. So there will be a lot of traffic that will be diverted that, that won't have to go um, through the main corridor. So I just want to point out all of those uh, benefits as well as, you know, really, quote, unquote, paving the way, uh, so to speak, pun intended, for uh, future uh, development and housing that is uh, being planned and, and uh, you know, at least envisioned um, at the Yardy property and at the at Kellogg uh, Way properties and other, uh, uh, other uh, population increases in that area that this will help to facilitate that. So I think there's a number of benefits, and I won't, you know, I just highlighted a few of them, but I just want to point out that this is a priority. It, maybe it wasn't everyone's top priority, you know, uh, here, but it's been a priority for the city and for our community, and I think we need to congratulate ourselves for getting it this far and getting it past the finish line, and so I think that's what we're doing tonight. I'm very excited about that. So thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Kasdan. Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, first, when this was originally proposed, it envisioned having it go to 217 and beyond. There was an expectation that this was going to be truly an alternative route. That isn't the case now. Going from to stopping at uh, Kellogg and then having to drive up Kellogg is not anyone's, uh, you know, dream old, dream route. Um, and, you know, creating a private road for the Yardy development to go to visit the people in the Winslow development, that isn't enough. You see, the problem is it's not that this project, and I'm thinking also, when I talk about this, I'm focusing not so much on the, uh, the bridge and uh, some of the other things, but on the Equifowler portion. And it isn't, the, the question is, not that there's no benefits, but are those benefits greater than other projects that we have? And that's the key with some of this is that it is a, you know, it's the opportunity cost. There are projects elsewhere that we won't be doing or be unable to do because we are doing this one. And that's what the cost is in some ways. Uh, one of the things that this exposed to me uh, to, um, you know, as Council Member Richards described, this has been in our books, although we didn't, I don't think, actually vote um, or <laughs> that he and I at least weren't here to vote on it. It was before we got here, I believe. But, but what it did expose in some ways is, I think, sort of flaws in our budgeting process that we didn't, we had this backlog of things and didn't see like there would be some big uh, cost that would be coming along the pipe that would completely uh, overwhelm our capacity at any given time, that uh, all of a sudden we would have a hit of $20 million or something like that, that we would, that would then uh, control what we do in terms of CIP. And I, so I think, you know, we didn't, We've, we need to look at that and improve that process so we know if we've established some sort of obligations that we didn't anticipate or didn't know were coming and are going to be able to plan for it and budget for it and understand the consequences of it. But, you know, we're, we're in this. We, we can't get out of it. And so uh, I 
believe with uh, Old Town Visioning and, and so forth, we have an opportunity to maximize the benefits of this of this project and hopefully make it, um, you know, really worthwhile. I, I'm hopeful that there is that opportunity. And uh, so that's all. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I think we might be ready for the vote. If you could um, call for the vote. Councilmember Kiriako? Aye. Councilmember Richards? Yes. Councilmember Kasdan? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Reyes Martin? Aye. And Mayor Brody? Aye. Okay, it's unanimous. Let's take a five minute break. Thank you, everyone. Okay, I'd like to bring this meeting back to order. You can read the um, next item into the agenda. That is item E1 Consider adoption of urgency and non urgency ordinances for tenant protections adding Chapter 8.19, Tenant Protections to Title VIII, Health and Safety of the Goleta Municipal Code. Recommendation A, adopt on a four-fifths vote, Urgency Ordinance Number 23, next in line U, entitled An Ordinance of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, adding Chapter 8.19, entitled Tenant Protections to Title VIII, Health and Safety of the Goleta Municipal Code, determining the ordinance to be exempt from CEQA, and declaring the urgency thereof, and B, introduce and conduct first reading by title only and waive further reading of ordinance number 24 next in line, entitled an ordinance of the City of Go uh, City Council of the City of Goleta, California, adding chapter 8.19 entitled Tenant Protections to Title 8, Health and Safety of the Goleta Municipal Code, and determining the ordinance to be exempt from CEQA. Thank you. Mr. Imhoff, are you going to start us off, or Ms. Graham? Madam Mayor, uh, um, I'll let uh, Ms. Graham start. Okay, thank you. Yes, thank you. So we're here with a tenant protections ordinance tonight. There we go. Before you today are two ordinances having to do with tenant protections. Um, to protect the public health and welfare of the city and prevent eviction and increased homelessness, the urgency ordinance would take effect immediately if adopted by your council. We are also bringing forth today a non-urgency version of the ordinance for introduction and first reading today. Um, the non-urgency ordinance has been drafted with the very same provisions as the urgency ordinances ordinance, although you could uh, direct staff to make changes to it before we bring it back for adoption at a later date. So the recommended actions for tonight are to adopt the urgency ordinance by a four-fifths vote and to introduce and conduct the second reading by title only and waive further reading of the proposed non-urgency ordinance. Now that that's out of the way, um, I thought I would share I know we've all heard about the housing crisis, but um, we have some data on housing in the city. 48% 40 per, of permanent renters in the city are burdened by housing. That means that they pay more than 30% of their income toward housing costs. Of those cost-burdened households paying more than 30%, 71% are in the low-income category. And of renter households who are severely cost burdened, meaning they pay more than 50% of their income toward housing, 89% are low income. 
Meanwhile, the vacancy rate in the city for rental units is less than 1%, and the median advertised rental rate for a two-bedroom apartment in Goleta was almost, was just under $4,000, according to the City of Santa Barbara's Rental Housing Survey of the South Coast last year. Because of conditions like this across the state, California passed the Tenant Protections Act of 2019 that created some important tenant protections. Then earlier this year, your council prioritized a local tenant protections ordinance in our departmental annual work program for this fiscal year. While staff was finishing up some other projects and beginning work on the ordinance, there were a few new developments. In October, the state passed Senate Bill 567 to make amendments and build on the Tenant Protection Act. And in October, several Goleta residents re received eviction notices about a week after their apartment complex was purchased by a new owner. So we focused our work effort to bring regulate these regulations to your council tonight. And then looking ahead, um, SB 567 will take effect um, on April 1st of next year. And then this is outside of the tenant protections that we're discussing tonight, but Assembly Bill 12 was passed this year and it takes effect next July. Um, it will limit the amount of security deposit that can be charged to a tenant upon move-in to one month's rent. I know some of you have discussed how security deposits can be a challenge for many renters, so I thought I'd mention it here. For anyone not familiar, the Tenant Protection Act of 2019 created a statewide cap on rent increases to 5% plus the percentage change in the CPI cost of living or up to 10% per year, whichever is lower. It also required that a landlord cite a just cause, either at fault or no fault, to terminate a tenancy. For tenants who qualify under this law, a 60-day written notice is required, as well as payment of relocation assistance equal to one month's rent. The act also, importantly, gave local jurisdictions the option to enact regulations that are more protective of te tenants. As I mentioned, SB 567 was passed this year to build on the Tenant Protection Act. Two main amendments had to do with the owner intent to occupy and substantial remodels. For an owner move-in, the written notice given to the tenant will have to include the name and relationship to the owner of the intended occupant who will have to move in within 90 days and stay for 12 consecutive months. If either of those conditions are not met, the tenant can move back in. To ter terminate a tenancy for a substantial remodel, the work must require the tenant to vacate for at least 30 consecutive days, and copies of the issued permits for the work must be attached to the notice. If the remodel is not commenced or completed, the tenant can move back in. Now that we've covered the state provisions, I'll go over what's in the proposed city ordinance. As in state law, the regulations apply to all rental units with some notable exceptions, including rental units that were issued a certificate of occupancy in the last 15 years, 
single family dwellings, condos, and mobile homes where the owner is not a corporation, a limited uh, liability company, or a mobile home park manager, and where the tenant is provided written notice of that exemption. Also exempt are owner-occupied units that are rented for less than a year, where a tenant shares a bathroom or a kitchen with the owner, or where the unit is rented in part, <coughs> no more than two units or bedrooms. There's also an exemption for units that are subleased for less than a year, hotel or motel rooms, or legally operated short-term vacation rentals, units that are rented out by hospitals, schools, or employers to their employees, and um, deed-restricted below-market rate affordable housing. There are several ways in which the city's proposed ordinance would be more protective than state law. It doesn't expire in 2030 like the state regulations will. <clears throat> it has a higher relocation assistance amount than state law. The substantial remodel must be primarily for health and safety reasons. There's a requirement that the owner provide the Planning and Environmental Review Department with a copy of the termination notice issued for a substantial remodel. And then there's a requirement to offer a one-year lease to new and existing tenants. And finally, a right of first refusal to re-rent a unit after a substantial remodel. As in state law, there are four main types of no-fault just cause. The city ordinance requires that the owner be operating in good faith to withdraw the unit permanently from the rental market, stop renting it to comply with applicable laws, codes, or court rulings, move in themselves or their direct ascendant or descendant, or to demolish or substantially remodel the unit. A relocation assistance payment would be required for no-fault terminations in an amount equal to two months' rent or an amount set by your council, whichever is greater. I'll say here that uh, you could direct staff this evening to specify an amount in the ordinance, or you could defer such a decision to a later date. The notice of termination must include the amount of the relocation payment as well as the method and timing of the disbursement. Payments would only be required for no-fault terminations, not at-fault terminations where the tenant was found to have committed violations or caused conditions <coughs> excuse me, that required the substantial remodel, for example. And the payments would need to be divided equally and paid directly to each qualified tenant. As for the timing, payments are to be made within 15 days of the termination notice although the owner can elect to pay half within 15 days of the notice and the other half no later than the day the tenant vacates the unit. In cases where the owner or their spouse, domestic partner, child, grandchild, parent, or grandparent wishes to move into the unit, a 60-day written notice and relocation assistance is required, but in addition, 
the intended occupant's name and their relationship to the owner must be provided in the notice. The intended occupant must move in within 90 days and occupy the unit for 12 consecutive months or else the tenant can move in under the same terms and rental rate as when they vacated the unit. I'll note that this is the same as the provisions in SB 567, only it would apply upon adoption here in the city, whereas SB 567, as I mentioned, won't go into effect until April. For a substantial remodel, the owner must first obtain all required permits. <coughs> Um, must first obtain all required permits because a copy of the permits needs to be attached to the notice of termination, including a full statement of the reason for the termination, the type and scope of work to be performed, and the reasons why the tenant can't stay while the work is being done, and why the tenant must vacate for at least 30 consecutive days. The ordinance also requires that the owner provide a copy of the notice of termination and other documents served on the tenant to the PER department, as well as proof of such service within five calendar days. There's also a requirement that a landlord offer a one-year lease to tenants when signing a new or renewed lease, and within 90 days of adoption of the ordinance, a landlord must offer a lease to tenants without a lease. The lease can be for a year or for longer than a year, but it must specify the rental rate for the entire term of the lease. A tenant is free to reject the offer of the lease, but it must be in writing, signed, and dated. The ordinance also grants a right of first refusal after a substantial remodel, meaning that the tenant must be offered the opportunity to return to the unit after the remodel is complete and the unit is again ready for occupancy. The tenant has to provide the landlord with their current address, phone number, and email address, so the landlord can send them a written offer to re-rent the unit. The ordinance currently stipulates that the rental rate upon return must be no more than the previous rent plus 5% plus the percentage in change in the cost of living or up to 10%, whichever is lower. However, after discussions with City Attorney, staff is now recommending that we strike this provision from the ordinance for the time being to avoid anything that might resemble rent control. Finally, the ordinance has some additional provisions. The city manager can adopt administrative procedures for implementation of the ordinance. It will be illegal for a landlord to retaliate against a tenant either for exercising their rights under the ordinance or for calling code compliance. And non-compliance with any part of the ordinance renders a notice of termination void and provides a legal defense against recovery of the unit. The ordinance also entitles the tenant to actual damages, attorney's fees and costs, and in the case of willful oppression, fraud, or malice, up to three times the actual damages. It also states that a tenant can file legal claims on their own behalf or on behalf of other tenants on the property. So that covers the provisions of the ordinance before you tonight. The tenant protections in state law apply in the city both now and once the pending amendments take effect next year. 
So our ordinance works in concert with those regulations. We have no obligation to adopt the same regulations as our jurisdictional neighbors, of course, but I think you'll agree that tenant protections are evolving across the state currently. So I thought it would be helpful to provide a brief summary of how some other jurisdictions, uh, how their protections compare with our ordinance. For relocation assistance, as I mentioned, state law requires a relocation assistance payment equal to one month's rent. The County of Santa Barbara chose to set their amount at um, three months of fair market rents, that's a figure published by HUD, or $7,000, whichever is greater. The City of Santa Barbara and the City of Carpinteria chose to set it at one month's rent plus a dollar, so that's more protective than state law, but they're basically deferring um, that decision until later. The city of Oxnard uh, set it at two months rent or $5,000, whichever is greater, and city of Ventura set it at two months rent. As I mentioned, um, the proposed ordinance before you sets the relocation payment as at two months rent or an amount set by council. So you can either leave it that way or you can specify a dollar amount. The requirement to file a copy of the notice served on the tenant with uh, either a planning department or a building department within five days. It's not in state law, but the County of Santa Barbara and the cities of Santa Barbara, Carpinteria, and Oxnard do require that. For the required offer of a one-year lease, the county and the city of Santa Barbara already have that requirement, while the other jurisdictions do not. The right of first refusal after a substantial remodel is required by the county's tenant protections, but only for a two-year period. The city of Santa Barbara is currently considering a similar requirement, and the pending amendment amendments to state law under SB 567 only require that the tenant be offered a chance to express interest in re-renting that unit. And finally, regarding the rental rate upon a right of first refusal, state law is silent. Um, and again, there's no true right to return, only to express interest <coughs> in the unit while the County of Santa Barbara defers to an owner's right under the California Civil Code to set the rental rate. And the City of Santa Barbara is moving forward with adoption of a right of first refusal where the rental rate would be limited to the previous rental rate plus 5% plus the percentage change in the cost of living or up to 10%, whichever is lower. That concludes my presentation and I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Thank you, great presentation. Um, council, questions? Councilmember Kasdan? Thank you. Uh, so a couple questions. First one with uh, respect to those to which it doesn't apply. Uh, ADUs, I noticed, weren't singled out. Now I recognize, and I'm sure you did too, um, that it, units built less than 15 years ago, it doesn't apply. And so most of our 
ADUs probably aren't captured, but I wondered if you talked about it or thought about whether to include a uh, exemption for ADUs. We, we did think about it and um, discuss whether or not ADUs were exempt or not. Um, we didn't try to single them out for an exemption, um, thinking that they're a source of housing in the community as well, and those tenants can benefit from, for example, an offer of a lease. Yeah, I guess, I mean, the offer of a lease, I certainly see the value for ADUs as well. I guess I just uh, wonder, the more, the more this is targeted to commercial enterprises as opposed to homeowners who are just trying to expand their their rents, um, you know, the more likely we we get more ADUs put into circulation and built, the more you start hearing people feel they're this they lose some control over it, we might get fewer ADUs built and more stories about, well, it's better to use it for short-term vacation rentals or something like that. So, so you know, I, I would I would be in favor of actually exempting ADUs as well and keeping the focus on those commercial units. And, but another one that I had is, um, so when you looked at where it doesn't apply, this is so this is on page four now, and, and it looked on those that it doesn't apply. And one of the conditions was if somebody intends to remove it from the market, uh, they intend to exclude this property. So they're going to tell the people who are living there, you have to move because we're, we're not going to keep this in circulation. And I was wondering what the time limit is, in other words, do they, if they say we changed our minds two months later, are they able to uh, put it back on the market or how long? I guess the question is, do we, should we be specifying that there's a minimum amount of time that it has to be kept off the market in order to qualify for that exemption? Uh, otherwise, it, it feels a little like it could be a loophole that somebody would say, I'm intending to take it off the market, kicks people out, and then says, well, I changed my mind, and uh, puts it back on the market. You know, should it be six months, eight months, something? But uh, it seemed like we should have some time. Right. Um, Councilmember Kasdan, I think that um, Earlier versions of SB 567 did specify a time period, but ultimately what was passed did not. Um, and to address that scenario, it, it may be insufficient, but that was part of the motivation for um, adding the good faith requirement in the ordinance. Um, and of the course, a tenant can uh, file a claim on their own behalf or on behalf of other tenants. Um, but that may not be enough um, security for you. And we could add such a provision. What do we have for, let's say, the um, the other measures? We For the next one, the, uh, the one that is um, 
tired, so I'm not. Uh, the other um, uh, no fault one. Let's see. Yeah. What What's the uh, another no fault one? Oh, renovation. And um, what's the third? Owner move in is one. Yeah, maybe that one they have to occupy it for a year, right? So maybe something comparable would be that it has to be taken out of circulation for a minimum of a year. That would be a kind of a parallel kind of time limit. Does that sound uh, like it makes sense? That if you want to take it out of circulation, it has to be for a minimum of a year. Otherwise, you're subject to terrible things happening. <laughs> Um, you know, that's a policy question for your council. One year seems short, in my opinion, compared with a permanent uh, removal from the market. No, I just mean, what if they change? Permanent is fine. You know, I'm not arguing against that. But, it, but if they change their mind and say, I want to put it back in, at what point do we say it's a scheme or or it, they're using a maneuver to get rid of people and then putting it back on the market. Is it, it clearly isn't perpetuity. There's a point in time where we say that it was a good faith that, uh, intent to take it off the market, but they've changed their mind and, and it's okay to put it back on the market. There's a good faith amount of time that it's taken out and then there's where it's a ruse, where it's a scheme or a device, where they're just pretending to take it off the market and then uh, changing. And I guess the question is, how long is that period of time? Because otherwise it, it feels like to me, at least, and this is based on federal government stuff, but if you don't, on the federal side, if you don't specify something like that, you can't prevail legally. You know, you can't impose, a, any conditions if you don't specify it, I think, right? Ms. Garibaldi, I think that's a question for yeah. you. Uh, Madam Mayor, Councilmember Kasson, I, I think to Ms. Graham's prior point, the idea behind the good faith language was to kind of get at what you're saying. So instead of having hard objective criteria, we're relying on a good faith argument as to was it in fact a ruse that and if in fact it was not good faith, then it would not qualify. Notwithstanding that, I think that there is. I understand the point you're making. I think that the it's a policy call as to what a reasonable amount would be. I think you suggested mimicking the um, the other provision provision at 12 months. I think that's probably a reasonable um, consideration. Yeah, I don't, I'm not advocating that, that that seemed parallel. That's why I suggested it. But I just thought it would be helpful, if, you know, give us a better legal foundation if we specified something. But because otherwise it's hard to know what is good faith. You know, if they say I really wanted to, but finances made it so that I had to put it back in circulation. How are we to know? Madam Mayor and Councilmember Kasdan, um, just to uh, reiterate, if the council would like us to make changes tonight, um, we have the option of bringing back the regular ordinance mm -hmm. in the new year and simply adopting the urgency ordinance tonight to make sure that those protections are in place. So we'll listen attentively to the council discussion and your direction and then bring back um, a revised version if that's the council's desire. 
Okay, so what, so in other words, um, with the exception of that, the piece that you're recommending get excluded, things like that I just described would be something that you might just bring back in uh, in the new year, but you could, but you, we could go, the simplest thing you're thinking is go forward for what we have now and then make amendments in, in a subsequent effort. Yes, the purpose in bringing both the urgency ordinance and the regular ordinance tonight was to allow uh, protections to go into effect immediately and also to allow the council flexibility to give us policy direction back on the various policy questions so that um, we can fine tune that. But it's really up to you. If you think if you think no, we got it exactly right, then then we can move forward with the adoption of both. Yeah, no, I certainly would like to move forward with an emergency ordinance, but there are a few, like this one, I don't think it's a big deal. It's, I'm just being technical uh, as far as that length of time. I had another question, and that one is uh, the lease. It wasn't clear to me when the one-year lease ends, it, it says then that mediation, if the landlord wants to uh, terminate, the um, arrangement and uh, have somebody leave, a tenant leave, then mediation is, um, I guess, required or recommended. But does that mean they get the option of sort of a no fault at the end of a, a one-year lease? A, a, every year they're able to boot out their tenants? I wasn't, I didn't understand that. My understanding is that that's not the case. Um, but if any situation, ex any circumstances existed where that would apply, um, then mediation would be the tool. So in other words, after a lease, a year lease ends, is a landlord under any obligation to extend a new lease or it is their choice whether to offer a new lease, in which case, you know, it seems like they could get rid of their tenants. I mean, they can't do that, can they? Just not extend, not offer another lease and 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 uh, say, you know, thank you for your uh, your occupancy, but now find another place to live. We're going to raise the rent. That's not my reading of it. Um, the city attorney can jump in if she has anything to add. Uh, Councilmember Kasson, that's not the that's not the intent of that provision, either. As Ms. Graham said, I don't think that's what's being proposed here. I guess so. I was confused. It said that at the end of the lease, if the landlord didn't want to do it, it would move to mediation. And so I didn't know if that meant just to get them to communicate. Is that the idea? Uh, or if there is some, so is that all it means? Is that just to like counseling, but the tenant still retains the right to have a new lease and they'll just talk about it to make sure they're on the same page? Correct. So we okay. currently have, um, the city of Goleta contracts with the city of Santa Barbara with their rental housing mediation program. So that's right. an example of an entity that could do this mediation. And the mediation is voluntary um, by both but, parties. 
Right, but in other words, at the end of a lease, the landlord can't has to main has to extend the new lease. Yes, if they're going, if they're going to continue renting to that tenant, then they have to offer a new lease, and that should happen unless there is some exemption or other situation that applies that would allow them to to not continue to rent to you mean like tenant. in other words like they they're planning to occupy it or they're planning to take it out of circulation etc one of those categories correct so unless it's one of those no fault categories or, or something like that the land the tenant can expect that they're going to be able to receive a new a new lease even correct. if and if they they aren't getting along if the tenant the landlord doesn't want the tenant there that simply means um they have the opportunity to talk out their differences and sort of figure out how to get along using our mediation services. But all that is, is a way of just helping the, the relationship get better. Okay, right. that's good. Um, and um, I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mayor Pertem Reyes-Martin. Thank you. I have a, a couple of questions. Um, first, you know, related to public outreach, you know, if we were to move forward with the ordinances or especially the urgency ordinance, um, what can the city do to inform the public about some of these changes? Or there, what have you thought about that we could do? Um, we will definitely do a press release. Um, but those tend to be high level um, and don't get into all the details that uh, the public needs to know. So um, we can put it on our website. Certainly we'll post the ordinance itself and eventually it will get incorporated into our municipal code, which is posted online. But um, we can have a web page dedicated to it that explains you know, some of the major points or all of the major points. Yeah, and I bring that up because I think something that we hear often is that tenants we're not aware that um, an ordinance might exist or that you know there are laws in place um, that uh, provide them some protection. So I think anything that we can do as a city uh, to inform the public is really important. And I think related, you know, I know that there will be uh, tenants who are, and there are tenants who are not English speakers. Um, they may primarily be Spanish speakers, but other languages as well. Um, do we have staff resources, you know, if a resident comes and has a situation or has questions to be able to explain to them what, um, you know, either with this ordinance or just, you know, you did such a great job of presenting like what the state is doing. Um, do we have staff resources that can help, um, you know, residents who are not English speakers or do we work with community organizations or other community resources for those residents? So um, the PER department has staff that speak Spanish and I believe one person that speaks Mandarin. Um, and the, the rental housing mediation program I know has Spanish speaking staff. Um, and so, yes, we do make it a priority to have those resources available. And Mayor, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, uh, Ms. Graham is being modest. She's fluent in Spanish <laughs> and she Thank is you. the main point of contact and our expert on staff who handles inquiries regarding um, rental housing and affordable housing. That's great to hear. Thank you. Um, I think my last question, you know, to this this question about the the rental cap, 
I mean, I appreciate, you know, that that is being, or it's suggested that we um, hold on that piece for tonight. Um, but as I read the ordinance, you know, it's talking about a very specific and narrow instance where a tenant is reoccupying a unit um, and it does allow for a rent increase, you know, the five or 10%. Um, so I'm inclined to keep that um, in the ordinance as we consider it tonight, um, or at least um, have a plan to bring that back if that requires additional discussion. Uh, but um, I just wanted to, to state that. Thank you. Councilmember Richards. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the question I have is with regard to the mandatory offer of the one-year lease. I'm, I'm trying to um, understand this. So, so that basically requires a, 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 an owner of a rental unit to offer a one-year lease, and they, they are not allowed to offer anything less than that unless they offer it, and then the offer is rejected, or then the, the prospective uh, tenant wants to take something less than they can counter offer is that correct i'm getting that right so what about um you know unit uh, uh, someone that maybe it travels and is only here part year and wants to rent out their place six months and and then not you know and then occupy it the other time is that is that allowed then or, or how, how would or how would they go about doing that Councilmember Richards, uh, yes, that's allowed. So they would write their rental agreement um, with the explicit time period or dates and the rental amount. Um, but because it's an owner-occupied unit that's rent rented for less than a year, it wouldn't be subject to this. Okay, that would fall under one of the exceptions then on that list. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, that was the only question I have right now. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, a clarification and then a couple of questions. Um, there's, there's been a lot of back and forth, and so I just want to make sure I understand something clearly. So my understanding of how things work is essentially as follows. You, you enter into a tenancy agreement, a lease, let's say for a year. You come to the point where it's time for your annual renewal, if a landlord elects not to extend an offer of tenancy for another year, they have to notify them in writing. At that point, the renter, the tenant has essentially a couple of options. One, they can just say, okay, and they can move along. Or two, they can dispute it and say, no, I really want to be able to stay. And then at that point, it would go to mediation. Am I right so far? Yes. Uh, I see the city attorney has an answer as well. Um, I would just add that it depends on why they are mm -hmm. attempting to terminate the, the tenancy. So if, for example, they were going to have their family members move in at 14 months instead of 12 months when the lease ended. So, yes. Yeah, to be, care to be clear, I'm not talking about instances where there's an at fault or you, you, know, you violated the lease right. or, or any of those things. I'm just saying... All things being equal, the landlord just wants to rent it to someone else. They, you know, they, they want to be able to do whatever they want to do. Um, the, the tenant has the ability to say, no, I really want to stay. And at that point, it goes to mediation. Okay, thanks. Got it correct. Okay. So here's my second question. 
is that mediation binding? In other words, can, can the mediator actually compel continued tenancy or if the mediator can, you know, or if, it, if the landlord just does not agree with mediator's proposals, is there some way to bind the landlord to offer to continue tenancy? Council Member Kiriako, my understanding is that it's voluntary um, and the mediator would look at applicable state law and local regulations and try to, um, you know, meet both the needs of both parties. And in that sense, you know, both okay. parties would want to participate. So unless something emerged through that mediation that would lead someone to reasonably believe that there was a... Um, a unlawful reason for not wanting to offer the tenancy, essentially the, the landlord would preserve their right to go into business, into a, a business tenancy relationship with who they want to. Do I have that basically right? Correct. Okay, uh, thank you for that. My next question, so how much discretion do landlords have to classify an eviction as being due to at-fault behavior? Um, you know, the, the, what I read refers to examples such as um, non-payment of rent, lease violations, or criminal activity, such as, makes me a little nervous, so like what are the other also as's or could be as's that might apply? Well, that's a difficult question, um, and this is copied from state law, not only the Tenant Protection Act and SB 567, but also the wider tenant laws uh, that apply. So it's hard to say, but um, you know, repeated damage or causing a nuisance repeatedly, I think is listed in there, um, which is not terribly specific. I guess the thing that's making me nervous, and it's not even necessarily specifically germane to our language here, but I guess what makes me nervous is um, you can put a lot of things into a lease agreement. You will keep your unit tidy, okay, define tidy, right? You know, one person's tidy is another person's messy. So I, I guess I'm trying to get a sense of how much right of way do landlords, be they corporations or mom and pops, have to dictate the terms of tenancy in a way that they can then turn around and say it's an at-fault eviction. I'm trying to get a sense of what are some of the what are some of the things that we need to look out for because we're we're not just contemplating an urgency ordinance we're contemplating something that would become more more permanent and would become more uh, more considered policy so I'm just trying to get a sense can you can you think of some other examples of like lease violations that we need to be concerned with. Types of. You're looking for types of violations? I'm trying to get a sense of what other types of violation, lease violations would be allowable. I'm, I'm assuming that at some point we're going to have to interpret whether or not something meets at fault, right? Like they're going to say it's at fault. The tenant's going to say, no, I wasn't at fault. So someone's going to have to be the referee. I'm trying to get a sense of how does the referee call balls and strikes here on what is a lease violation? Because I think it becomes... This is a, the, the state is changing the law at a rapid pace. 
local government is trying to keep up, and because of the rent eviction crisis, we're trying to in some ways get ahead of things. So what I'm trying to understand is what are the potential impacts of some things that maybe didn't used to always be something we had to really worry about as a public policy issue that maybe we really need to be paying attention to now. Councilmember Kiriakou, let, let me try to answer this and then uh, either yeah. Ms. Graham or, or Ms. Garibaldi can step in. So it's a very factually specific kind of a question that is gonna be different in each case and it's impossible to, to state an enumerative list. The good faith protection uh, would be something that would be a factual question in any instance. The city does have the ability under the ordinance to enforce the ordinance, but in the first instance, in most cases, if push came to shove, it would be uh, a private dispute between the landlord and the tenant. And that's why we have those mediation services in place to really help people stay on track and to understand the strength of their positions. And, and only if that mediation failed would it then proceed to uh, a civil dispute, potentially in front of a court, if, if it got to that. Um, but there are services out there, uh, our Legal Aid Foundation, for example, that are always able to step up and, and represent tenants in that kind of a circumstance. Okay. Let me try to go to something that's a little bit more quantifiable then. Um, I really appreciate the slide that talked about what are some other local jurisdictions doing um, about this, such as Santa Barbara and Carpinteria. Um, one, of the, one of the things that's a real sticking point is uh, th this notion of right of first refusal, and if so, what's a reasonable rent to be able to charge after work has been done to substantially improve a property? Um, I, I took a quick scan. I took a quick scan at what's on the rental market just right now while I've been up here. Uh, the lowest I could find for a one-bedroom apartment in Goleta was twenty-five hundred dollars for a one-bedroom. That was just a kind of a quick scan. The highest was $38.95. Now, that's a pretty big spread. So 5% plus CPI of one of those is very different than another. Um, I recognize that because of the way state law is written, that a lot of the newer properties built in Goleta will not, will not have this uh, law apply to them or our ordinance apply to them right now. Right, so a lot of the newer builds that have come in Goleta, for example, in my district since 2016, if you're renting those, it's not gonna apply because they've, they've only been on the market for like less than 10 years. Um, but, but a lot of these property owners are planning on being in business for the long term, so eventually it's gonna apply to them. So um, what I'm interested in finding out kind of objectively is are there any other places in California that are maybe looking at a criteria beyond just what is the base rent and then a, an increase and what's a reasonable increase, but maybe looking at what the actual market conditions are of a spread. Um, is, is anybody looking at like, okay, if a one bedroom averages this much, then you can let your, you know, depending upon where you are in a range, this is what your <coughs> allowable increase are. You know, are there any kind of creative solutions like that or is it really just more, you take the rent, you, you fix a percentage to it, you fix CPI to it, and then it's capped. Do we know of anyone else who's tried anything different? Council Member Kiriako, I haven't seen anything like that. Um, I will say that anyone who's thrust out into the rental market um, looking for a unit is subject to the vagaries of that market. And so um, they may take a lesser unit, a smaller unit um, than they would like, or vice versa. 
-hmm. They may put them in a situation where now they're housing cost burdened because that's all they could find. So um, I think your idea has merit, but I think it would be possibly difficult to implement and tricky. I'm not sure if it would accomplish what you're looking for based on the limited number of housing units that are available at any given time. Thank, thank you for that. The, 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 tricky, the tricky part for me, and I speak as someone who until three years ago was a renter for my whole life, and my mom was a renter for most of her life. Um, so I, I'm sensitive to you have housing and then suddenly you're housing insecure. I, I've had to move around quite a bit in my life, um, both as a young person and as a not so young person. So I'm, so I'm sensitive to that. I'm also sensitive to the fact that 5% of what someone's renting at market plus CPI is very different than what somebody who's tried to keep themselves a couple of percentage points below market because they've realized that they haven't had the resources to be able to keep up a unit as much. And so they've kind of priced themselves a little bit below market to remain uh, competitive while recognizing they're not also in a position to maybe make all those improvements. If you cap someone who is in that situation where they're a little bit below market, that's a very different rent increase than someone who has basically priced themselves at market, regardless of whether or not they've been keeping the property maintained or not. I mean, we've lived in a, in a vacancy rate world in Goleta of like 1%, 2%. And so there isn't right now in this market a lot of incentive for someone to fix up a unit because the second you put it on the market, you have a lot of competition for those units, and oh, I have a deposit, and I have a really good credit score, and so you, it's a good mar It's been a good market historically in the recent years for rent for um, for landlords, um, but I'm trying to make sure that as we we look to implement, perhaps not the urgency ordinance, but something that's more of a long-term solution, that we're at least sensitive to some of these nuances because not all landlords are are created equal. Not everyone has a a real estate group that manages their properties for them. Sometimes it's someone that took their single family unit and turned it into like a fourplex. And they live in one of them and they're renting the other three, right? It's not necessarily the same situation. So I just, I'm just, I'm trying to see what can we do to kind of better get at a more focused, more equitable solution uh, without completely condemning renters to just you know, in you know, inordinately high forever rent increases, which, um, I mean, I was in Samita Gardens at $2,200 a month right now. I won't tell you how much it is today, but it's it's more. <laughs> Thanks. Just if I could add um, a reminder that state law does apply, so um, we can enact more protective regulations, but um, they can't be less protective, and state law still applies. And if I'm correct, I heard you say that um, this ordinance, the urgency ordinance, is pretty much in line with the county's ordinance, Santa Barbara County, as well um, as the city of Santa Barbara. And are, am I um, mistaken, but I thought the city of Santa Barbara was going to um, uh, be making some changes to their, and is, where are we at with that? Madam Mayor, um, there are differences, of course, between ordinances, but um, substantially um, ours is similar to the county's, okay. and um, you're correct that 
that the city of Santa Barbara is moving forward with amendments to theirs. Um, I think it was approved by the ordinance committee, but now goes on to council. Um, and the main change, one of the main changes there was to add right of first refusal as well. So similar. Okay, okay great. Well, um, you know, a lot of questions have been asked already, but I, I'd like to hear from the public because we did receive, uh, oh, Kasdan, <laughs> council member Kasdan, your hands up. I, I do Thanks. want to hear from the public though. They've been waiting a while. I'm, I'll, I'll be relatively quick. I just wanted to follow up on the the right of first refusal, the rate, and just to add another kind of consideration there. And that is that the percent formula there doesn't capture the costs that somebody might have incurred in terms of the remodeling, the substantial remodeling. And so if they are putting in a lot for their remodeling, maybe that percent captures it, the percent increase, the five plus CPI, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's less. And the problem is twofold. Number one, I think, I wonder if legally that's a, a kind of taking, they're not getting a reasonable rate of return and so we would have to be focused or aware of the, that potential. And then the second question is just, are we in some of those older properties sort of discouraging renovation, you know, which would is further. I'm I'm for exploring it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I I, I think I just think we want to exclude this from the emergency ordinance and then bring this back as part of the subsequent package where we kind of think through some of these things and make sure they're legally tight and and um, you know well thought out so that's all thank you can we um now see if there are any speakers i do have seven speaker slips okay. and if any members of the zoom webinar wish to speak on this item please raise your hand and we'll call on you our first speaker in person is brian johnson followed by joanna sanchez Good evening, Madam Mayor, Council Members. Thank you for your time this evening. Um, I'm with the Santa Barbara Association of Realtors. I've come to speak, um, hoping that you would um, not support this ordinance, the emergency, the urgency ordinance, or the uh, or the permanent one, um, for multiple reasons, uh, not least of which, which seems to be some discussions going around along here with regards to the uh, amount that someone might be able to. Um, increase the rent once a substantial remodel is complete. I think that um, you're getting really to sort of the, the point of it that if, if it is a substantial remodel that's caused a tenant to have to move out, that's going to be quite an expensive remodel. And then to just limit the, uh, <clears throat> the amount that a uh, property owner can recoup from that to 5% plus CPI, maximum 10%, um, I think a lot of us know today the cost of doing any sort of remodel are extremely high. Um, even something as simple as, say, doing a bathroom can cost uh, in the order of $10,000 or more. And then to say that you're only going to be able to recoup, you know, if the rent was, say, $2,500, you're only going to be able to recoup $250 of that back. Um, that's going to cause a lot of, uh, especially small mom and pops, 
to rethink doing any sort of um, uh, upkeep to their properties. Um, and with that, we would hope that you would take into consideration that there are a lot of mom and pop um, housing providers in your market and that by adding additional layers of, um, of, of requirements and ordinance and laws on top of them, it's going to make them much more likely to exit the business, selling to those larger corporations that are then going to be able to have you know, people um, really sort of figure out how to, how to get the most out of a tenant. So um, we, would, we would ask that you consider uh, applying this uh, ordinance to only um, units uh, or only uh, properties that maybe are five units and above. Uh, the county right now excludes uh, units four and under uh, from, their, uh, from their urgency ordinance that they passed earlier this year. So we'd ask you to make that consideration as well. And just know that, you know, in limiting the amount of revenue that a uh, property owner can, uh, can receive, um, you're not doing anything to limit the expenses that they will face. Higher insurance, cost of living, cost of materials, cost of labor, all of those have had no ceilings put on them. And as we've seen over the past couple of years, those have really risen higher than any sort of uh, increases in rent. So thank you for your time this evening. Thank you. Our next speaker is Joanna Sanchez, followed by Stacy Kaplan. Hi, good evening. I'm Joanna Sanchez. Madam Mayor, good evening, and thank you, Council, for meeting regarding these issues that the city of Angolita, this municipality, is facing. I just wanted to come with the perspective of a lived experience. I lived in a carriage unit um, at ADU. I'm very well-versed as we are. I was not offered a lease due to the fact that it's going to become an Airbnb, so that's something that is new. You know, in 2023, we're dealing with that. Um, suffered a hardship. And coming back from the hardship, ended up homeless. So coming through the city and working through the county, of getting a foundation of having a dwelling again has been key. I come from the real estate market. I'm an expert at urban development. And um, come from downtown Los Angeles. So going through this process and having it happen to me is a life experience that I would like to share with you that is something that there are tools, but you end up on the street. And by actually living on the street, you have a hard time to navigate of where to go in the county, where to go in the city. So I want to stress that it's quite important that we keep humanity of housing and shelter at the forefront. And I understand the perspective that was just given my family have been landlords forever and to this day, but parameters and substantiating parameters that are clear that we would need to obtain permits, we would need to substantiate this to the renter. We're human beings and we have negotiations and we can be amicable. But when you're turning around and you're gonna throw a 1200 and you're coming to a 3400 constituting rents coming up for market value, and as he said, I come from new home build. Design is extensive, and I know we can build bathrooms for twenty dollars to $50,000 if we need to. But we need to have these parameters to protect the public and our taxpayers and our constituents. So 
bottom line to obtaining permits and substantiating is probably one of the key elements in this negotiation of why we're coming here to speak to you. So both sides have amicable ways of reaching an agreement. And I want to thank you for your time, and I want to wish you all a very happy holiday. Thank you. Thank you. Our next public speaker is Stacy Kaplan, followed by Betty Jeppesen. Good evening, Madam Mayor and Council Members. Uh, I'm here on behalf of the Santa Barbara Association of Realtors as their Government Relations Chair, and I'd like to commend you all for the many questions that you are asking this evening. They're very good questions. Um, this is very complex, and I think it's important that we ask ourselves, who are the main bad actors in the landscape? And I would say those are the corporations. The way that the tenants have been treated has been egregious. We've heard about what's going on um, recently. And with the majority of the housing providers being mom and pops, there does need to be a differentiation between the way they are, the regulations which they must adhere to and those of a corporation. Because they're not the ones, for the most part, committing these sort of acts. So I would suggest that you mirror what the county has done and exempt one to four unit owners. Um, this mandatory right of first refusal, we have no problem with that. But within this paragraph, you actually have rent control. Saying that a housing provider who's doing a substantial remodel, which is clearly defined, and even we heard from our prior agenda item that construction costs are up 30 to 40 percent over the last couple of years, to say that they are limited to re-rent at 5 percent plus CPI um, not only discourages keeping properties up to date, but it's also against Costa Hawkins. So we have serious um, concerns that this goes against Costa Hawkins and in the graph where were showed what's being done at the state level as unspecified, it's not unspecified. Once the contractual obligation has been severed with the tenant and they've been paid relocation assistance, that relationship is over and therefore Costa Hawkins applies. Um, so please do consider that. Um, <coughs> With regards to community outreach, this is really, really important. Um, a web page is not going to suffice um, for probably four or five years. The association has suggested community outreach in multiple languages. Um, the list of new laws since 2019, I think there's seven or eight of them listed here. It's very confusing across all the cities and the county. It would be nice to have some uniformity there um, for the housing providers and for the tenants so that everyone is aware of the rights and responsibilities of being both a tenant and a housing provider. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Our next speaker is Betty Jeppesen, followed by Stanley Frankoff. Good evening, Madam Mayor and City Council. 
I'm Betty Jeppesen. I am the president of the Santa Barbara Rental Property Association. And there is a joint letter from us and the Santa Barbara Association of Realtors, which I would encourage you to read if your busy schedules haven't allowed you to do that yet. Um, in addition to that, I have represented a lot of landlords. I've also represented tenants. And most of the mom and pop landlords are very discouraged right now. They can't understand the different layers of laws. They don't know what laws applies to them. They first have to figure out what geographic jurisdiction they're in. Then they have to find out if the state law applies or the city law applies. And um, they are selling 75% of the landlords are considering selling right now because they don't want to deal with it. They're elderly. They bought 30 years ago. They can't deal with it. Um, they're afraid of these enormous fines, criminal prosecution. Uh, I have had many landlords come into my office and ask about these questions and cry. You know, I can't do this. Well, you mean I could be thrown in jail if I make a mistake? I don't understand this. And so they sell. And then it, these properties are either owner-occupied or they're bought by REITs or corporations. And they will get what the market will bear if they can. Now, um, of course, you are limiting that. But that, again, goes against, as Stacy said, Costa-Hawkins, which is the civil code section that allows you to raise your rents to market when the unit is finally vacated. And also with regard to these mediations, they are voluntary, they are not mandatory, but if they don't work, you have to take the tenant to court in an unlawful detainer action. There is no self-help in California. There's already must have a just cause, must pay relocation, and must go to court. So there are protections already. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Stanley Sankoff. That was perfect. <laughs> hello, every, everybody. Uh, hello, Mayor uh, Prodi and um, council members. Thank you so much for the, the time, care, and initiative and, and the wonderful staff presentation. Um, my name is Stanley Sankoff. I'm here as a um, volunteer tenant organizer with the Santa Barbara Tenants Union. Um, and uh, I'm here to share my unwavering support of this ordinance, both the, the urgency piece of it to stop a sort of gold rush before um, the, the better uh, kind of stronger protections come in. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this is about protecting tenants. It's also about protecting our region's general housing affordability. Um, because we know, right, that as we talk about building new housing and meeting our region's demands, we know that the the quickest way we lose that affordability is actually by by these these um, processes of deregulating the rent, you know, and and so allowing tenants to stay in their homes is huge. Um, just to, I'll jump around a few uh, pieces of this. I I strongly recommend that you you keep the cap on rent uh, increases post renovation. Um, without it, it's just having a guaranteed tenant to come back. Um, and if we're really trying to target this. Uh, bad faith predatory practice of uh, of claiming that you need to do renovations and then not doing them uh, just to deregulate the rent, not having a cap on the rent afterwards is is just not going to do it. Um, and my understanding is that Casa Hawkins absolutely allows allows for this. Um, but you know I'm I'm not an attorney. Um, 
I also just wanted to mention uh, the intent of relocation assistance um, is just that. So pinning the monthly rate to the current market rate makes much more sense to a tenant out on a rental market with less than 1% vacancy. Um, and not to mention that the tenants that are typically targeted for this practice are typically long-term tenants and units which are far below market rates. Um, in Ivy, so many of the tenants had to go because um, the shock to their wallet was just too much to handle and they left the region. Um, and I just wanted to mention at the core, um, these are just modern mo modernizations of tenant protections to meet the current sort of practices. Um, if you're in business in good faith, if you're doing the bare minimum to communicate with your tenants about what you're doing, you're keeping your housing safe and, and habitable, sadly, that's already not happening, um, then you still get to make plenty of a return. 5% um, plus CPI um, or 10% year after year for these renovations that oftentimes happen kind of, you know, once or twice a, a, a decade for a unit, right? You spread out those costs. Um, that to me seems like plenty of wiggle room. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Our next speaker is Nick Gonzalez, followed by Jennifer Smith. <coughs> Honorable Mayor, Nick Gonzalez. I'm here to represent the small owners. So unlike the larger corporations, many of the small owners that have one, two, three, four units, that's all they have. They don't have a pension. They don't have a 401k. They don't have a guaranteed retirement. They worked their mom and pop job and saved all their money and week in and week out, like with my daughter, we worked on our units and we put our money into them. And that's all we have. And you're taking this big brush and you're just painting us all the same. And you're putting at risk everything. Remember, we just came out of COVID. We had to give up income for two years minimum. In some communities, it's three and it's even four years. And now some of the bad actors who had capacity to pay and just refused to pay are being evicted. So part of the spike of evictions in some areas, maybe not so much here, because I know we're specifically talking about an incidence with a large number, is the result of people who didn't pay who are now being accountable to pay. And let me tell you how some people leave units, in spite. I just talked to a fellow person with a duplex. One toilet supply line busted in an older unit, flooded out the entire unit, two units. It's old, so it has asbestos. It's old, so it has lead. It's old, it has asbestos tiles. Abestos in lead mediation alone is now approaching $50,000. One supply line for the toilet busting and being unattended overnight. The total bill is coming to approximately $100,000. And I'm going to ask to get that, and I'll submit it to each and every one of you. How, under your ordinance, if the insurance doesn't pay because it's an act of God or some other reason, will that be recovered? And then the other big problem is, let's face what the real problem is. Many of you did a very excellent job of stopping growth. And now the state is mandating you to build the housing. And that shot up the housing. Many of you have received some contributions from unions who have billions of dollars invested in these pension funds. 
UCSB, SEIU, CalSTRS, CalPERS. Recently, Senator Jeff Murphy and Representative Adam Smith proposed new legislation to stop this type of investment to help out everyday people. So please, be equitable in your decision and separate what the real cause is and go after the real cause. Don't go after everybody. That's not gonna solve the problem. And your housing authorities are exempt. So, so the area where the most at-risk people are being targeted is the one that has the exemption. How does that work? Our final public speaker is Jennifer Smith. Good evening. My name is Jennifer Smith, and as most of you know, I'm a City of Goleta resident. I'm here um, both in my individual capacity um, and my capacity as the Executive Director of the Legal Aid Foundation of Santa Barbara County, um, and here to support um, passage of the Tenant Protection Urgency Ordinance um, and any uh, future uh, passage of uh, permanent ordinance. Uh, our charitable mission is to provide free legal services to low-income and other vulnerable residents of Santa Barbara County, including City of Goleta residents, in order to ensure access to justice. And most people know that if you're indigent and you're accused of a crime, that you have a right to counsel. But if you're indigent and you're facing an unjust eviction, you're not entitled uh, a right to counsel. Um, and so this is where my organization comes in um, to assist uh, low-income tenants uh, and represent them uh, who, uh, those who are facing eviction. Um, I wanted to comment on a few items that were discussed. Uh, there was a question about ADUs uh, and being exempt, but I'm not sure that that's an appropriate categorization uh, because corporate entities can create ADUs from my understanding. Um, so it could be a large entity or a small entity that is um, producing the ADU. So I'm not sure um, if that is um, an appropriate way to categorize uh, some type of exemption. Uh, and I also wanted to um, acknowledge the um, enforcement mechanisms that are in the ordinance and I'm grateful to see them. Uh, the State Bar of California did a study uh, several years ago and um, about what we call the civil justice gap. And it said that if you were to just meet the needs of low-income Californians and their civil justice needs, that you would need 9,000 more civil legal aid attorneys across the state of California just to meet those needs. Um, and I, I actually did the calculation. That would mean 100 more civil legal aid attorneys in Santa Barbara County. Um, and that just doesn't exist. Uh, and so we do our best with limited resources um, to, to provide excellent legal representation, outreach, and education. But resources countywide are very limited. Um, so. You know, I think it's any, anything in an ordinance that we have or any actions that um, a city or a county may take, let's say there's some large bad actor and the city wanted to take some action, I think that's an important um, provision, knowing the needs of our community. So thank you for your consideration. Thank you. 
And I did receive one more speaker slip from Ken Alker. If there are any other members of the public who wish to speak on the Zoom webinar, please raise your hand and we'll call on you. Hi, my name is Ken Alker. <clears throat> I apologize for my appearance. I've been laboring all day and I wasn't intending to speak. And I didn't even know this item was up today, but in listening to it, I have one comment I wanna make. Um, I'm a landlord. I have a tenant who I've only been charging $1,250 a month for many years because he can't afford more. Um, he and I both have the understanding that when he can pay more, he will pay more. Or if there's a day where I just need more rent, I will be able to charge him more. So my concern over the rate cap is you might have some unintended, or not rate cap, I'm sorry, about the, the cap on the increases is you might have some unintended consequences. What, what I'm hearing is that if I don't go out and bring his rent up to market immediately, it's gonna, I will never catch up. Uh, and one day I'd like to be able to catch up once he's, he's able to. I may be way too late if California law has already done it. So again, I'm just coming into this. Um, I would suggest perhaps adding something that says that a landlord can bring his um, rent up to market or close to market if it's not already at market sometime in the future as a, so that a landlord doesn't hear this and think, oh, I gotta do it now or else I will never catch up. So just, just something I was thinking of that could be an unintended consequence and I know there's a lot of other landlords like me. I talk, I have a lot of employees who are constantly having real problems finding housing. And they talk about, um, you know, who's got the best rent and, you know, finding uh, rent by word of mouth as opposed, you know, trying to get, not have to pay the 2,500 or the 27 or 3,000 that they're paying in other places. So I think there's a lot of other landlords like me who don't have to collect market rent and my fear would be that if they hear this, they may decide they need to bring it up to market immediately instead of waiting to the future. Thank you. Thank you. And I have no more speaker slips or hands raised. Okay. Back to council. Questions or um, council member Kasten? Yeah, I, I wanted to clarify with respect to ADUs and uh, Ms. Smith's uh, observation about uh, the corporate-owned ones. In our case, don't we have our ADUs have to be some sort of owner-occupied, qualify at least, or there's some sort of provisions associated with the, that the owner has to be uh, nearby or on site? Does that uh, remind me of how how uh, our ordinance works with that? Or am I just wrong and there is no owner-occupied quality to it? Um, Mayor and Council Member Kessin, I'm, I am trying to think back. I don't believe that there is an owner-occupancy requirement for ADUs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I remember we talked about it uh, at some point. And I, and I, I hear, to me, there's a distinction between you know, I, I support in some ways the idea of uh, exempting ADUs where it's owner-occupied as opposed to, uh, as was observed, uh, ADUs where it's somehow part of a chain or something like that. If that's the case, I don't wouldn't see any reason why 
we would want to exempt them from some of these provisions to the extent that they're owner occupied, they're on site, then it's more similar to the categories that we're already uh, excluding. And uh, so. Madam Mayor, if I could just point out yeah. that under state law and what our ordinance says as to the owner occupancy in ADU that was permitted after January 1 of 2020 and currently before 2025, although that likely will be extended, is not subject to an owner occupancy requirement. Okay. Okay. So it was, it had a, a provision prior to 2020, but post 2020, there is no such requirement. Is that, uh, that correct as uh, the 20 January 1 2020 is the cutoff for the owner occupancy requirement currently that runs through 2025 depending on how the law evolves as we know okay. this changes every year um, that may or may not be the case in 2025 as to whether owner occupancy would be allowed then I guess to the extent that there is an owner occupancy whether required by law or otherwise I, I just consider it different than if it's um, you know, owned by others or just in circulation and there isn't a, an owner on site. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Council Member Cariaco. Uh, I'm ready to get into deliberations. Does anyone else have questions before I get started? I'm not seeing any questions. Okay. So uh, a, a few thoughts. Um, it's, it's really hard for any government, whether it's local government or state government, to really get in somewhere with a scalpel and be really precise and create like this perfect public policy outcome where just the bad actors get targeted and the good actors aren't targeted. And so when you're dealing with problems like this, for me, it's, it's really much more helpful to just kind of look at the larger the larger picture and the, the larger dynamics. And the, the larger dynamic of the community that I grew up in and have lived in is um, regardless of whether you're a mom and pop landlord who keeps up their property or a mom and pop landlord that doesn't keep up your property or you're a landlord that owns property and you work with a leasing company and it's a more professional operation or you're one of these big kind of development companies, um, the one thing they all have in common is rent's really high. And it's really high against the cost of living in the region. It's really high compared to what incomes are. And we have some additional complicating dynamics. The fact that for years we had a regional partner in the university that had said, if you support our long-range development plan, then we will build 5,000-plus housing units for students and faculty and staff. And then they went and didn't do it. And that's not the fault of our local mom-and-pop realtors, but that is a dynamic that has, in some respects, benefited some of our local landlords. Because if you're a mom-and-pop landlord and you used to be able to charge, you know, like let's say it's an owner-occupied situation and you're renting a room, and you used to be able to charge $800 a month for that room and suddenly you're getting 1500 and you didn't really do anything different, the only real difference is you're making a lot more profit. Um, you know, the, the second thing I'll say is 
you know, there was a, a comment made from a, a public speaker about um, this council's done a really good job of, of preventing growth and that we've taken a lot of union contributions. So I, I guess the thing I would say in response to that is if you look at the South Coast, I've said this before and I'll say it again, Goleta's built three times as much housing in the last 10 years as the neighboring city that's three times our size. You can go look at the SBCAG website. It's just a fact. Between 2010 and 2020, we built three times as much housing as Santa Barbara. It's a lot more than uh, Carpinteria built. So you might look at some other jurisdictions that talk a lot about housing and ask them, what have you actually delivered? This community has not only built a delivered housing, we've delivered rental housing. But that also belies another troubling fact, which was when those developments were approved, and we have council members that you know, voted for some of those developments and voted against others of those developments. One of the things that they all had in common was they were apartments. They did not have an inclusionary housing requirement, but the developer said it's gonna be workforce housing. This is gonna be housing for our critical workforce, our teachers, our firefighters, our nurses, our childcare workers, on down the line. When you're charging $3,400 a month for a one-bedroom apartment, that's not critical workforce housing. That's doctors and lawyers housing. That is tech worker housing. And the, the interesting thing about this market is that some of the other dynamics, uh, the university not meeting its housing obligations and students who have means and support being able to double and triple up in these units has made it so what should have been an unsustainable housing market and, and had a correction, the correction never came. The other thing I'll say is, and this is partially in response to that public comment, there's a lot more housing coming. There's people in this room that are really upset about it, but there's a lot more housing and it's coming not only in Goleta, it's coming in Santa Barbara, it's gonna come in Carpinteria too. There's about to be a flood of new inventory and what I would say to the landlords, whether you're a mom and pop or you're a corporation or you're somewhere in between, the argument that I hear over and over and over again for we need this new housing is because it's a supply problem. So the supply problem is about to be solved. We're about to put the truth to the situation of whether or not it's strictly an issue of if you build it, the prices will drop. If you build it, it will become more affordable. We're, we're about to see that play out on a macro scale. And I would advise people to look at what the different inclusionary housing policies are for different, uh, different jurisdictions and then see what actual affordability comes out of these different jurisdictions over the next eight year cycle. What does that have to do with mom and pop landlords? Well, you're about to have a lot more competition from a lot of brand new inventory. And so if it's truly a supply problem, aren't you gonna to wanna to fix up your places regardless of whether or not we're telling you, if, whether we're telling you to or not, whether or not there's a, a cap on rents or not? I mean, you're about to have a lot more competition. It shouldn't take the government of the city of Goleta to tell you you need to do this. It shouldn't take an ordinance to protect tenants. Um, you have an opportunity as landlords to try and position yourselves in this new dynamic to provide housing that's a little bit below because it's not so new, because your house was an old was a tract house or it's an apartment building that was built in the 60s when the tax rules were, were more advantageous. You actually have an opportunity 
And I would say rather than fighting City Hall, partner with us and let's find the right solution. And maybe it's not the language exactly in the urgency ordinance, and that's why I think we need to go back to the drawing board on the permanent ordinance and let's figure out a way to get it exactly right. But this is a crisis that's been hiding in plain sight for years. And it's been on our work plan. I think it, God, I think council members Kasdan and, and Richards asked for this to be put on the city work plan. I can't remember if it was before I got on council or if it was my first year. Our staff's been incredibly busy. They've been trying to get to this. They finally got to it, and frankly, just in time, because we're now really starting to see the, a new term, renovation, used in our community. And I know we can't get this exactly right right now, but I feel we have to err on the side of doing the most right thing for the most people in the short term with an urgency ordinance, and then we can go back and we can have a conversation. And I think this is the first of many conversations that we need to have. And the landlord, the, the property owner community needs to be at the table. And I want to have a real conversation about whether or not, you know, four units or less should be exempted. My community in Old Town, we have a lot of what people would call substandard housing stock. We have a lot of housing that desperately needs to be renovated. But the question for me is, well, how would, it, how would this ordinance affect that housing stock? I think from the walking in, in the neighborhoods that I've done, there's a lot of fourplexes in Old Town. If I exempt them, what does that mean? I don't want to inadvertently segregate my community further by not allowing us the opportunity to do the most good for the most people. Um, so I'm, you know, and the last thing I'll say is we got a lot of emails that had the word rent control in them. And, and I have to tell you, the, the people that I talked to over the last year that were my constituents, I didn't, most often I didn't have to bring up rent control for them. They brought up rent control to me and they asked when it was coming and it had nothing to do with a remodel. It had to do with, can we get it so that they can't raise my rent more than 5% every year? I just got a huge 10% rent increase uh, six months after the previous one that I had gotten because of how the calendar year worked. Um, <coughs> the, the, there are people in this community that if you start saying the words rent control, be careful what, what you wished for because you might get a different kind of rent control than you're concerned about right now in this conversation. Um, so let's, let's not throw words around, let's not throw threats around Let's not point fingers at each other. Let's recognize that this is a big problem. Landlords didn't necessarily create it, but we're all dealing with it, and we're going to have to work together to solve it. In the short term, the best way for me to solve it is with the urgency ordinance. I agree with my colleague, Luz Reyes-Martin, that I think in the urgency ordinance we should have the cap, and then we can revisit that as part of the final solution. Uh, and whatever that final solution ends up being, I really want to hear from a community uh, that we've started hearing from tonight and then the last couple of days with their letters. I've appreciated your letters. Um, I want you to know that I've been personally following this conversation, not just between our staff and uh, the Goleta community, but also in Santa Barbara. I watched the City of Santa Barbara Ordinance Committee meetings. I saw some of your public comment on, on these issues that they're dealing with there. Um, I'm getting a little bit better educated every day. And I'm confident that this council will listen to all voices before we make a final determination on how to handle this issue. But in the short term, 
I, I, I can't hold back. Thank you. Thank you. Councilor Richards. Thank you. Um, well, I appreciate your comments, first of all, uh, uh, Councilmember Kiriako. Uh, I, I want to say also that I, I appreciate all the public comment tonight, and I really appreciate hearing from all sides. And, you know, there's no silver bullet for this issue. This is a, you know, it's a crisis that has been brewing over years, and, you know, we've, we've heard about what the causes are, and there's not going to be a, a simple solution. So my goal and I think our goal here is to do the most good and the least harm in trying to uh, deal with a, a very complicated uh, issue and, and, and help the most vulnerable uh, people. And I understand that you know, there might be bad actors on all sides. There might be some um, renters who have been bad actors and, and, and don't uh, leave their place as the landlord had wanted them or, or leave when they wanted them to. Um, and there, there are bad actors uh, that, that are owners and landlords. Uh, so we're not here to try to point fingers or, or try to vilify anybody. Like that, that's not our goal. But I think it is important that we try to protect the most vulnerable people in the community, and and that's uh, that's what where I'm coming from. You know, so we have to be able to come up with a solution that protects them without uh, uh, in, you know, uh, causing undue harm to other people. There, there's a lot that I like in, in the ordinance, and I do support the urgency ordinance, and I agree that, that we should move forward with that and then um, maybe look at uh, some of the details in the regular ordinance uh, at a future date. Um, I, I, you know, I, I support the relocation assistance. I support the mandatory right of refusal. I am concerned about the 10% cap, and and what that means, and in particular, I'm concerned that it, it will inadvertently provide a disincentive for, for owners to uh, upgrade their facilities, not as a way to, you know, renovate somebody, but just, uh, you know, the normal upkeep and, and maintenance, and as, as was mentioned, that there are a lot of units that are, um, you know, subpar and, and, and really need to be uh, given some TLC and... and, and and improved, and so I, I don't want to um, have the unintended cons consequence of, of of disincentivizing that. So, so that's something that I, I'd like for us to mull over more and, and come back to. Um, I, I'm I'm curious, and I, I'd like to think more also about the, the idea of possibly uh, limiting it to one one to four units. I, I'm not sure. I, I really, you know, I I support the idea of of not wanting to hurt the mom-pop stores, uh, uh, owners, and, and, I, and I hear that. I, I totally hear that. Um, but I, 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 need, I need to learn more about how, how that will play out and, and who will be affected by that and, and see if we can get more information you know, and have more discussion about that. Um, I'm just not sure. So I, 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 like I said, I think, I think we all here do have open minds and we want to hear from the community. Um, but, but we also need to take action. This is an urgent. Uh, issue, we hear about people being you know, renovated. We uh, and 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 that's not okay. You know, we we can't allow that. We we have to do what we can to protect those uh, people. And, and you know, and, and even if we had, I, I was you know, just to do the math, if if we limit it to four units, you know, if four people are living in in those units, that's still sixteen people. You know, I mean, it's still it's th that could still affect a, a, a great number of people. Uh, so. Um, it's, it doesn't make it inconsequential for the people who would be affected by that. 
So that's where I am right now. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Kasdan. Yeah. Uh, so first, just an observation with respect to the question of supply, uh, whether supply is adequate and so forth. I mean, yes, we need more housing, but we also saw housing prices go up 30% over the past few years. And clearly that's not because all of a sudden there's been this massive decrease in, in uh, housing stock. So, you know, the market's going to do its thing. And landlords, we don't want to react to that, to the detriment of tenants, just because the market is swinging and all of a sudden now it's more, um, more advantageous to get rid of your tenants. Um, just, you know, with regards to, I distinguish between the owner-occupied situation and those in where somebody's nearby versus just, you know, one through less, less, than, less than four units. Uh, both, you know, my son's best friend uh, growing up, up until they were about 11, something like that, or 12 maybe, um, lived in a unit right near us. And uh, they had lived there before. So they were one of these, uh, as one of the speakers said, when you have just um, one or two units, often the landlord is less focused and less attentive on keeping the rates, the rents up. And their rent was low. And so they got tossed out in order to be able to rent to uh, new tenants at a lower at a higher price rather. And actually, now that I think about it, the people right upstairs from us, his my son's babysitter, um, a teenage girl, they too got, uh, got evicted essentially so that the rents could be increased. So I use these as examples because they're less than four units. There was somebody who owned a couple of additional units that they were renting out. Mm -hmm. And the people who are affected are, you know, are often those where, you know, it's not their fault that the people who, who owned their units didn't have a lot of units. And so I would be, I would be cautious before we just go ahead and say less than four units, um, this doesn't apply. Uh, that four units, for instance, is, is substantial. And the idea that tenants in those situations would be without protections, I'm a little uncomfortable. I understand if a tenant, if a landlord is living there, if the landlord is there and if there's like a, they're running into each other all the time, then I can understand, you know, there's, there's a different dynamic, but so let, you know, to sum up, there's been a number of things you've heard. Uh, I've raised uh, the owner occupied ADUs. Others have talked about other things. The, uh, the question of the, that rent, cap for renovations, I do think that should be explored before we conclude it. Now, I, um, uh oh, Councilmember Kasdan, I think you're frozen. Damn it. Oh, they're back. Okay. <laughs> At least you didn't hear me swear this time. That's right. I said it quick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> be thankful for small things. Uh, that um, we don't want, I was just saying, we don't want the unintended consequences, whether it is uh, people failing to do any renovations and allowing properties to degrade. We saw that in New York when I was growing up, 
that um, there would be rent controlled apartments and that the landlords would just leave it in place and let it degrade. Uh, I also actually I lived in rent controlled apartments in DC and what they the big thing that would happen is they would at some point in order to get out of rent control they would sell them as condos and uh, that was the other way to deal with and we also here face the risk of people choosing to go with short-term vacation rentals uh, as opposed to regular year-long rentals my point is all of that is to say i i enthusiastically support the urgency ordinance and um, some of these outstanding questions that we've talked about i just want to explore uh, and evaluate more but I'm glad we're doing this, and you know, and if there's any time right before Christmas and so forth, it sure is um, kind of a blessing. So, thank you, thank and you. thanks for bringing it forward. Thanks for you know uh, putting the 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 uh, acceleration on this and to get it forward. Back when you said you know when this first came up, actually uh, when we were not first came up, but more recently when the rent evictions came up. And we were told, well, really the best we could hope for would be early in January or something like that, or maybe February. And yet here we are today. So uh, thanks for doing that. Well, I'll piggyback on that. Thank you, um, Ms. Graham, for all the work that you put into this. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think we'd see this urgency ordinance until January, towards the end of January or beginning of February. and. And it really concerned me because, um, you know, we did have, um, we saw what was happening in the city of Santa Barbara. Um, um, and then we also had an evening where a few people came in to say they were being evicted um, after living in their units for a very long time and that they were doing renovation. And um, so it just kind of, it, it was, I was thinking, well, that's happening somewhere else, but no, it's happening here. It's happening in Goleta, um, and it's happening in Isla Vista, and um, I just felt compelled that we needed to do something about this. So um, we may not have it exactly right, um, and that's why I, I like the idea of some of it coming back to us. Uh, I support the urgency ordinance because I think we have to do something sooner than later, and I really feel strongly about um, um, what um, – uh, Mayor Pro Tem Reyes Martin, uh, Martin said about um, outreach and workshops and really letting people understand how this works and working with the um, the, um, the folks that have these units and um, you know how can we all make it work together and, and that's kind of my hope. Um, I really appreciated what you, um, Councilmember Cariaco, said about you, you. You really captured a lot about what's going on. Um, and there's bad apples and there's good apples. So, um, you know, um, I think uh, we have an opportunity now to do something quickly because um, I really feel strongly that it's needed. Um, and then I think um, we can make some adjustments at some point later on when we come back to discuss a few more things. So um, I think that's all my comments. Um, but I really do appreciate everybody staying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and waiting to speak, yeah, thank you for that and your, for all your comments. And, um, you know, I also will say that I work, um, I sit on the um, Homelessness Standing Committee, 
And, you know, we are seeing people that, um, you know, are at risk of, you know, becoming homeless, experiencing homelessness um, because of the raising costs of living here. And they have jobs. They have kids in schools here. So, um, so I think there is something that needs to be done quickly. So um, I guess what we entertain, I'll entertain a motion. Is that something you're just going to jump right in and <laughs> Councilmember Cariaco? Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Let me. Uh, and thank I you may, to my I, colleagues. You all said such and, and I may need some points. help from staff on yes, whether or not. Yes, and uh, Mayor and Council, I just want to remind you that we did recommend a change to the yes. um, right of first refusal provision to eliminate the second sentence there that would have imposed a rental cap uh, um, based on city attorney advice. So. Yeah. Um, if that amendment could be incorporated into any motion on the urgency ordinance. But what if I don't want to do that? Yeah, well, it's up to you, and, okay. and then Miss um, Garibaldi may wish to advise us on the best wording um, options if we want hey, to. Why don't we just cut to that? And just a reminder, this an urgency ordinance does take a four-fifths vote. Yeah. Four-fifths. Four. Uh, with respect to the right of first refusal, um, the recommendation was to consider eliminating the cap if you intended to come back with future changes on the the, um, the regularly adopted ordinance to provide an opportunity for to study the appropriate carve-out language that would apply to um, the proposed cap. It's ultimately a council decision. I, I, hear, I hear that. I, I think the the intent here is to have it be in the urgency ordinance so that we then have a chance to have that in the short term while we try to figure out for the long term whether or not that really is the best, most appropriate vehicle. Um, so given that, how, how does that impact the reading of the motion? I'll defer to okay. council as to how they'd like to proceed with this item. Um, okay. Ultimately, this provision is untest somewhat untested. Mm -hmm. And so it's to the council's discretion as to how to proceed. Uh, yeah, I see um, Councilmember Kasdan's hand up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how the rest feel, but I, I would prefer it not be included at this time. And and that's not with prejudice, so to speak, that it is, um, we recognize, and you observe, there are significant challenges or issues that, that, so it's, if there's something we know is problematic, let's bring it back and give staff a chance to really mull it over, rather than include it now just as a symbolic thing. I think for me, it's less about symbolism and it's more about impact. Um, but I'm also conscious of the fact this requires a four-fifths vote, so I'm trying to kind of make eye contact with my colleagues to see if I'm a I'm part of a group of four or a group of three or two or one. I'm going to try. I'm going to try the motion, and we'll just see how this plays out. Um, and I won't think any less of anybody if we end up having to do a second chance at this. So I'll move that we adopt on a four-fifths vote urgency order, ordinance number 23 next in line, you, 
entitled An Ordinance of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, adding Chapter 8.19, entitled Tenant Protections to Title VIII Health and Safety of the Goleta Municipal Code, determining the ordinance to be exempt from CEQA and declaring the urgency thereof, and um, introduce and conduct first reading by title only and waive further. Councilmember Kiriako, no, I don't stop believe you want that. I'm just stopping today. So the, the motion as, as said without the and and everything after the and and the. Okay. I will second. Thank you. So everyone's clear on the motion, it's just action A. Roll call vote. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I discuss the motion. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I just want to cl um, clarify that I had I had said that I am concerned and I do have reservations about that part. I, I will support it for the urgency ordinance, but um, that that cap um, is something that I would like us to come back to and have further discussion of uh, before we adopt the uh, the ordinance next time. Okay. For, for what it's worth, I agree with you. Okay, so we have a second. Uh, roll call vote. <clears throat> Councilmember Kiriako? Aye. Councilmember Richards? Yes. Councilmember Kasdan? Okay. Mayor Pro Tempore Reyes Martin? Yes. And Mayor Prodi? Aye. Okay. Aye, Kevin. Okay. Now we have B. Do you want to do B? We don't do B. Ma Mayor and Council, we had understood that from the comments that you'd like to um, have us bring that back at a later okay. time, and we'll take the we'll have to study the comments that yeah. we heard tonight okay. and yeah. and your uh, and deliberations, and and then bring you back uh, a more full discussion. And, and just to be clear, as the maker of the motion, I I, I want to really make sure that that we don't wait six months to come back. Like I I want this to come back quickly with opportunities for community engagement. Uh, so that this does not become such an oppositional right. kind of a topic. Right. We Which can do may that. be unavoidable. We will, but. we will plan to be back early in the new year. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Take five. <laughs>going to bring this um, um, meeting to order you could read the next item into the agenda that is item e2 approval of the stowe grove park master plan and, and adoption of mitigated negative declaration hey mr valdez uh, good evening madam mayor um, members of the city council in the interest of time i know it's late we're going to just get going very quickly with miss um, Plummer to provide the staff report it's a big item tonight. We're very excited to bring it. And so without further ado, Ms. Plummer will take you through the staff report and uh, we'll be available for questions. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Um, I'm going to be reading quickly this evening, so please bear with me. Tonight is a very exciting night for us as we take the next step towards the renovation of Stowe Grove Park. Before you this evening, you are being asked to adopt a resolution that would adopt the initial study mitigated negative declaration and the mitigation monitoring and reporting program pursuant to the state CEQA guidelines for the Stowe Grove Park Master Plan Project and approve the Stowe Grove Park Master Plan. In addition, we are asking that you authorize the city manager to execute a memorandum of understanding with the Stowe Company LLC to revise the alignment of the existing easement within Stowe Grove Park. 
There are a lot of documents before you this evening, so I'll do my best to summarize the information, the process, and the next steps in this project. Earlier this year, staff presented a report on the public outreach process that had occurred in the development of the master plan for Stowe Grove Park. This information is detailed in attachment one, exhibit C in your staff report. During this meeting in March, council supported the draft master plan with comments and directed staff to move forward with the next steps, which is the CEQA process. On May 2nd, council authorized the execution of, of a professional services agreement with RINCON Consulting to develop the draft biological resource assessment and the draft initial study mitigated negative declaration. These documents were made available to the public for a 30-day review process from August 1st through the 30th of this year. During this time, staff received a total of 16 comments and held two separate, separate tribal consultations. The majority of the comments were related to the plan and why one amenity was included or not included. Um, and however, there were two comments related to the biological resources and the ESHA that exists within this park location. These comments were answered in, in the response to comments located in attachment one, exhibit one, appendix E, and the information has been incorporated in the final mitigated negative declaration. There was another comment received speaking to the historic relevance of this park location. Even though the park is over 100 years old, the historical consultant determined there was no criteria that would require a federal or a state historical designation, but that the site could be considered a local historical area of interest. If it is council's desire to explore that designation, staff could bring that item back as a separate work effort at a later date. The other comments received were those by the council during the meeting last March regarding circulation and additional access to the park for neighbors and visitors. After reviewing this item with the Traffic Engineering Division and Public Works, a variety of determinations were made and are located in detail on page four of your staff report. However, to summarize, looking at all four areas of the park, the additional entrances on the east side of the park are not possible due to the landlock of residential properties. However, there are two entrances that do exist that will be enhanced for ADA access and will connect pathways within the park. The area to the south of the park has an entrance that will also be enhanced for ADA access, will connect to the trails within the park, and as the master plan describes, will feature plantings and interpretive signage that will celebrate the plantings of the Channel Islands. The area to the north of the park, which is Cathedral Oaks, currently has a pedestrian gate that has remained locked. The evaluation by our traffic engineering division, as well as consultation with our law enforcement, has made the conclusion that an access point at this location is highly not recommended. While bicycle and individuals walking are not our concern, the concern lies with the vehicle traffic and the behavior of some motorists looking to find shortcuts when dropping their kids off at the park. La Patera Road currently has the existing driveway and two formal pedestrian points of entry to the south of the driveway that will as well be improved. There is an old pedestrian gate north of the driveway across from Camino Viviente. While not currently part of the master plan, we could explore the potential installation of a crosswalk and a pedestrian access either on the south side of Camino Viviente or north of La Patera Place. This will require additional study by the Traffic Engineering Division for a recommendation and then inclusion of the pedestrian access into the park at one of these two points. While these were not studied in the CEQA document, we would follow up with any further filings related to the change if it was required. As council may recall, recall, staff applied for a grant through the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which would have provided the necessary funding to close the gap on the current cost estimates. On December 14th, we received notification that our application was one of many applying for the same $35 million that was available. Grant request totaled $154.6 million. Our, <coughs> our application was not successful. 
Although this is not the news we were hoping for, staff will continue to explore other options to bridge this financial gap. As presented in March, the master plan includes 25 total components or amenities, of which nine are general park improvements, six are play active amenities, five are social education in nature, and five are passive and nature-based. The details of the master plan, including the planning process, is included as attachment one, exhibit C, and a conceptual plan is included on page five of your staff report. Within the master plan, there is a universal or all abilities playground. Thanks to local legislators, Senator Monique Lamone and Assemblyman Greg Hart, we have been approved for $750,000 of state funding towards the development of this feature at Stowe Grove Park. Staff will be working with the state on the guidelines surrounding this funding, but was informed this week that this component of the project must be completed by December of 2026. As described in the staff report on page six, staff complied with AB 52 and held two tribal consultations with this project. The request from the tribes was to include interpretive signs that would educate the public on the historic presence of the Chumash at Stowe Grove Park and in the surrounding areas and ensure a Chumash monitor be present during ground disturbing activities. One of these challenges in making improvements and refurbishing Stowe Grove Park is that it has two areas designated as ESHA. While these areas already contain a variety of recreation amenities, any new development would be subject to several policies and regulations. If council does adopt the initial study mitigated negative declaration and approves the master plan, park design in ESHA and in the ESHA buffers could still be general plan and zoning compliant if significant impacts are avoided or mitigated to the maximum extent feasible. Conservation element sub-policy CE 1.6D states that public works projects identified in the CIP may be allowed only where there are no feasible, less environmentally damaging alternatives. This process as described on page six of the staff report would require staff to return to city council with a development plan and discretionary review would be necessitated if new development is proposed in ESHA and it can be demonstrated that there are no feasible, less environmentally damaging alternatives. Staff will return to council on specific development plans associated with this project at a later date. Any work completed outside of the existing footprint of an existing structure, which may be necessary for some of the proposed modifications, would be considered <coughs> new development. An example is while the picnic area can be maintained, any addition of a shade structure would be considered expansion and new development. Um, another example is related to the discussion that we've had on the caretaker house as a potential mixed use to accommodate it as a community space. That as well, including the maintenance area, would be considered new development. The project team has identified the following elements that were listed on page seven of your staff report as having potential impacts to ESHA and its designated buffers. The improved horseshoe area because the improvement exceeds the current footprint. Refurbishing the existing picnic areas because of the addition of the shelter structure. The new restroom near the universal playground. Refurbishment of the maintenance facility the refurbishment of the caretaker cottage and the inclusive playground. The project team, including Rincon Consultants, who's been here with you all night long in the audience, uh, through its environmental analysis, has evaluated the current proposed changes for consideration and the potential impacts to ESHA, and it is anticipated that indirect impacts are primarily associated with construction activity during nesting periods. These will be mitigated with restrictions on construction timing and have been included in the ISMND and the mitigated me mitigated management, no, the MMRP, <laughs> sorry, as mitigation measures, Bio 1, Bio 2, and Bio 5. 
There will be no anticipated direct or indirect long-term impacts to the designated ESHA boundaries or their buffers. The city is the lead agency for purposes of CEQA and it pertains, as it pertains to this project, and we have complied with all regulations. Page seven in your staff report describes the preparation, noticing to residents, tribes and agencies, and the public comment period. This draft ISMND concluded that the environmental impacts of the proposed master plan project are considered to have less than significant impacts with mitigation incorporated, referred to as class two, less than significant impacts, referred to as class three, or beneficial impacts, referred to as class four. Areas with class two impacts requiring mitigation included biological resources, cultural resources, geology and soils, recreation, and tribal cultural resources. The MND includes analysis of each environmental area, potential impacts, and necessary mitigation measures. Based on the MND, it was determined that the project will not have a significant effect on the environment with the implementation of the mitigation measures identified in the MND. These mitigation measures have been included in the mitigation monitoring and reporting program. The MND and the mitigation monitoring and reporting program are provided as exhibits one and two respectfully of your draft resolution. RINCON consultants prepared a cultural resources technical report in July of 2023, documenting background and archival research, record searches conducted for the project site, and phase one and extended phase one survey testing results. Although no resources were found on site as part of phase one and extended phase one studies, based on the presence of Native American resources nearby, the project site is considered sensitive for archeological resources. For this reason, mitigation measures CR1, CR2, CR3, and GO1, the city would require a workers' environmental awareness program training, retain an on-call archaeologist, require Native American monitoring, and follow adequate procedures in case of unanticipated discovery of archaeological or tribal cultural resources, including halting of work to evaluate the find. Impacts would be less than significant with the mitigations incorporated. During the public comment period, staff received 16 comments by the close of the circulation period, and Rincon Consulting has made those minor revisions as needed in the final ISMND. These minor changes have been made to the MND to clarify, amplify, and make insignificant modifications to the MND, further describing information in the final document, and that and this does not result in, I'm sorry, and does not result in alterations to the degree, degree of impact or significant conclusions. These draft changes serve to clarify and strengthen the content of the draft ISMND. Therefore, recirculation of the ISMND is not required under state CEQA guidelines. In addition, Rincon Consultants prepared a biological resource assessment <coughs> in July of 2023. Required mitigation measures Bio 1 through Bio 5, which include protections for roosting monarch butterflies, including measures around potential tree removal through a required tree removal and monarch protection plan, and implementation of pollinator garden landscape plan. Several tree protection measures are included as are pre-construction nesting bird surveys. Impacts would be less than significant with mitigations incorporated. The next steps of this project is to solicit landscape a landscape architecture firm to develop with the new phases of the project with approximate cost estimates, as well as create the necessary construction plans and specification documents for the project. As council may recall, the playground area was listed as phase three initially in the plan, but due to the timeline for the funding provided by the state, there is a need to take a closer look at the necessary regrouping of the phases to accommodate the playground being constructed sooner. 
Regardless of the phase or phases moving forward, it is recommended to enter into contract with one firm for the construction documents of the entire master plan for consistency. Lastly, in the existing deed of property from the Stowe Company LLC, there is a 10-foot wide easement for an underground water line that extends the north-south length of the property. The Stowe Company is requesting to abandon the existing line and propose the development of a new line. The proposed alignment has been coordinated with the master planning process to avoid additional impacts to this park location. Staff is requesting that council authorize our city manager to enter into a memorandum of understanding which would allow this adjustment to the easement and supports the improvements described in the master plan. In a future meeting, staff will propose uses for the caretaker residence and once a decision on that topic is determined, staff will return to city council for a modification of the deed of the property. All of this said, staff is recommending that City Council approve and adopt the mitigated negative declaration and mitigation monitoring and reporting program for the Stowe Grove Park Master Plan and approve the plan. If approved, staff will release a request for proposals to solicit a landscape architect for the project. We also ask that Council authorize our City Manager to enter into the MOU with the Stowe Company LLC. And that is all I have for you tonight, but I did want to mention that we do have uh, Nick here from Rincon Consulting in the audience, Mark Carpenter from KTUNA who did the master plan is on the line, and Zach Rissell with the Stowe Company LLC is also on the line. So uh, we're available for any questions. Thank you. That was great. Council, questions? Uh, Madam Mayor, we need a motion to go past 10 o'clock. Oh, we, yes. And I'm happy to make it. Okay. I, I move that we do that. Okay. I'll second it. All in favor? Aye. Are you okay with that, um, Councilmember Kasdan? Oh, you're muted. Yes? You're muted. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, we're moving forward. Okay, now questions. I'm just going to say this is exciting. It's just moving along. I, I, I was so impressed with the sheer volume of um, when when we were working on the strategic plan and on the master plan, how many people attended the workshops and uh, the surveys and input from so many people, and they were just so excited. And I remember um, Mayor Putem uh, Reyes Martin saying, "Well, we've got people so excited now. I don't know your exact words. We need to like move forward with yeah. this." <laughs> They're thinking, so we are. Um, this is it's exciting, but I don't have any questions. Questions. Oh, public comment. Yeah. I do not have any speaker slips for this item, but if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I'll call on you. And I don't see any hands raised. Good job. That was. <laughs> and thank you for staying here. All yeah. Time. Thank you. All right, ready? Uh, yeah. Um, so I move that we adopt resolution number 23 next in line entitled A Resolution of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, adopting an initial study mitigated negative declaration, SCH number 20230800037, and mitigation monitoring and reporting program pursuant to section 15164 of state CEQA guidelines for the Stowe Grove Park Master Plan and approve the Stowe Grove Park Master Plan and B, authorize the city manager with the approval of the city attorney to execute a memorandum of understanding with the Stowe Company LLC in substantial compliance with the attached draft to revise alignment of existing drainage easement in Stowe Grove Park. 
I'll second. Oh, okay. Thank you, Councilmember Kasdan. Um, roll call vote. Wait, can I Are just we make having a... any discussion? Discussion, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, uh, may I? Yeah, yes, I, I, please. I, sorry, I had my hand up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I still, I, I, I want to just go back to something that I had mentioned the last time we talked about this, which was the um, pedestrian um, ADA access and, and bicycle access, um, more so pedestrian, I would say. And I, I, I continue to have concerns about the lack of uh, connectivity uh, for ADA, in particular ADA access uh, to the park. And so I just want to review. So on the west side of the park, it, along uh, Windsor Avenue, there's uh, two uh, access points at Stowe Canyon uh, Road and at Muirfield Drive. And then there's an access point at the southern tip of the park at Parkhurst, and then one on the western side on La Patera Lane um, at the La Patera Elementary School. And, and so the whole northern part of the park does not have a pedestrian access. So uh, from the uh, La Patera Elementary School, if you go up La Patera, there's no actual pedestrian access along there. There's a driveway. Um, that you can enter it if you're in a car or a bike, uh, but you have to go all the way up and over Cathedral Oaks and come down Windsor um, to get to Stowe Canyon Road. And that's, a, that's a, I just looked it up on Google Maps, a half a mile. So we have a half a mile stretch along the park that there isn't a pedestrian access point, uh, nothing that's uh, accessible at least. So there may be ways to get through if you're willing to dart across the street, if you're not in a wheelchair or other, you know, if you're not in any other way, you know, um, differently abled. But if you want to cross safely a, a street and, and access the point um, along that stretch, you're not able to. So I, I'm bringing this up because I, I feel like it's a very important point that has gotten overlooked. And I'm sorry that this didn't come up sooner, but I, you know, I did bring it up last time. And unfortunately, I, I don't think that anything changed in the, in the design, and maybe it was too late to do that. But I'm bringing it up to get support from the rest of the council to see if there's something that we can do to uh, provide um, direction to staff to at least further consider this or so that this could come back. I, I would like us to look at La Patera, uh, at, at least one additional access point, either at Camino Viviente, at La Patera Place, or at Carroldale Lane along that stretch to just see is there a, a place, and I understand there are some concerns about the, the curvature of the, of the road and, you know, and the safety of a, a, a place to have a pedestrian crossing along there. Um, so I'll leave it up to staff or the consultants to kind of advise on where would the best place be. But I do feel like that there's a need for an additional access point along that stretch. I would support that idea, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, Councilmember Richards, if I may, um, while it was not included in the staff report, I did mention that that is an area that we could take a deeper look at. Okay. Um, and if it's something that the council wants us to do, we can have our public works department evaluate the, the different options. Um, and then um, we would also want to put in not just a park entrance, but perhaps a crosswalk was, would be the recommendation from public works. Yeah. So we can definitely, if that's the desire of council, we can incorporate that into our discussions. And then when we move into construction documents, we would just include that in part of those construction documents. Okay, that would be great, thank you. Uh, I think that's important moving, f looking forward, because this park is gonna be so 
incredible oh that more people are going to come. So you, you, you can't base the numbers of the traffic and the pedestrians crossing. And, no, and you know, although engineers like to always, uh, what we've had, no accidents there, or, you know, no collisions or no fatalities, you know, well, we need to be proactive, um, especially for that area where there will be a lot of children as well. So mm -hmm. definitely, that good catch. Oh, Councilmember Kasdan. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just trying to. I was just going to uh, observe the evolution of this park and appreciate this, the how the idea of the all-access park came up sort of uh, along the way and how there's just been a lot of the, you know, we looked at different alternatives. This has been going on a while. We looked at different alternatives and made a point to try and preserve the more natural feel of the park, but also. Oh, no. Frozen. Oh, oh there you are. Back. <laughs> um, and I don't know where you it cut off, but just how, you know, there was a point where we weighed in on different alternatives and, and, and uh, recommended to maintain that natural feel to the park and added, incorporated, at, with staff having proposed one of these options of the all access. And I just thought it, it was just a great combination of listening to the concerns of the community and being creative at the same time. And I don't, and I, so I just think it, it was a, a great process in that regard. And so um, kudos, thank you. Any other comments? <clears throat> Call for a roll call vote. Councilmember Kiriako? Aye. Councilmember Richards? Yes. Councilmember Kasdan? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Reyes Martin? Aye. And Mayor Perotti? Aye. It's unanimous. Aye. The ayes have it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very exciting. That was, wow. That was pretty quick. Next on the agenda is item E3, annual review of the city council representatives to regional agencies and city council subcommittees. Good evening, mayor and council. So I'm gonna be uh, brief, not as quick as Joanne was. <laughs> she did excellent. <clears throat> so um, just for the public, not that they're up right now, but just for the public, um, in preparation of the report, my, my office requested that each council member um, check the uh, checklist that we provided to them for regional ad hoc and standing committees to see if they were going to review it, see if there was going to be any changes. Uh, we uh, implemented any requests back into this staff report, attachments uh, one, two, and three. And um, what I wanted to point out to you are a couple of things, just so you know, not that we've seen any changes. But for standing and ad hoc, in 2020, the city council agreed that the process for selecting its own standing and ad hoc subcommittee members will continue to follow the appointment practice that had been consistently used in years past, whereby the appointment to a particular standing and ad hoc subcommittee is made by a majority vote of the entire council. Now, regional boards, committees, commissions and committees, um, that selection process um, uh, to select 
the selection of council members to serve on regional boards, commissions, and committees follows the requirements of California Government Code Section 40605 and the process provided that we adopted in the Goleta Municipal Code. So with that in mind, um, staff is asking that we, um, what you're going to see new on the standing committee uh, list was the Human Services Standing Committee. We asked for interest. We got a number of people that have interest on that, so I'm going to let you all let us know who the two council members will be. <laughs> um, we didn't see any changes to regional that anybody requested. We didn't see any changes to ad hoc that anybody requested. There was just the Human Services Standing Committee that showed interest for four of you all. And then there was one other standing committee, which is the Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness Standing Committee, which we have um, Councilmember Kiriako and Mayor Pertem uh, Reyes-Martin on. And I did see that Mayor Perotti was also interested in that. So I'm going to let you all have at it and let us know what you want to do. <laughs> Should we start with human uh, services? <laughs> start with the hard one, since I think the majority of us um, wanted it. Um, Councilmember Kiriako. Oh, just seeing seeing who was interested in it, um, I consulted my conscience and thought, uh, you know, I'll take myself out of the running. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's up to Councilmember um, Kasdan. Yeah, I just uh, I counted my committees, and I'm on twelve committees. Eight of my committees have not met in the past two years. <laughs> So revenue neutrality, the fire station, the Goleta Beach, the naming committee, town and gown, solid waste. Uh, uh, you know, the, so I have four committees that actually meet. And uh, so, you know, and I have a great interest in the topic. And I, I, so I would like to be on it. And I think I would contribute. So it looks like um, you didn't request to be on it, um, uh, but Councilmember Richards did. So well, I'll support Councilmember Kasdan to be I on would it. Too. <laughs> um, so I'll just put that out there because you know this was his idea. He brought yeah. this forward, and I, I think it was great. So, yeah. uh, so I think then then the question is uh, who else? And I'm I'm happy to uh, to be on it to volunteer for it, and I, I feel like there, I have a lot that I could contribute. But I also, no, if, you know, I, I, I don't. I know. I'm, I'm happy to defer to the mayor. Too. You know, um, I, I thought it would be something that a lot of the, um, the topics that will be discussed are things that I have experience in as well. But um, if, if you want it and you, you sound like you, you're very, very interested, um, and I think um, definitely Councilmember Kasdan, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So that was easy. Uh, do we need a vote? Oh, yes. I would think we do. So a roll call vote. Are you okay? Well, let's do a roll call vote. So this would be the Human um, Services Standing Committee, Councilmember Kasdan, and Councilmember Richards. That's what we're voting on. Is yeah. that a motion? Yes. <laughs> I'll second that. <laughs> Councilmember Kiriako? Aye. Councilmember Richards? Yes. Councilmember Kasdan? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Reyes Martin? Aye. 
and Mayor Pruitt. Aye. Okay. That's done. And and I, I was the one that wanted to um, see if someone on public safety committee would um, you know care to um, not be. I'll on step. That. I'll step aside for the mayor. You will. I will. I've always I, I wanted will, to be on that committee. I, I, I will also <laughs> say for a long time. I will also say I'm very interested. I, I I neglected to check off the box, but I'm actually very interested in Gersh Park, if if that's available. If it's not, I understand. Oh, I, I don't know who's on Gersh. Park. I, I honestly don't even I, remember. <laughs> I, I'm on Gersh Park, but I also thought of it this is something that is that's one of my four that meets okay. uh, but, but, it, but, I, but I also had this ex, this idea that like you're on the community center I'm on Gersh Park um, council member or mayor pro tem um, Martin is on uh, the um, watch my face the Fairview Gardens. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know that, that essentially people are uh, have the committees that are, have the committees that are in their jurisdiction because they have more of a local interest, and uh, so that's partly uh, that's partly why I'm on Gersh Park, uh, really reflecting that it's that it's there, but I also do have an, an interest in it. What were you particularly interested in? Was there something that you had a, a calling for? I, I've just always been interested in it. Um, and the, the community center, um, the, the, we're talking really about the organization that was the entity that used to manage it. That's what the liaison, that's what the, the regional board is. And they have not met in, I want to say the better part of a year. They've, they've, been, they've been inactive since, uh, largely inactive since the... Um, since the changes at the community center in terms of the management. They've, I, I attended one meeting and I don't think they've had one in a number of months since. I'll, I'll defer, I'll, I'll be de deferential. You know, there, there were definitely things I was interested in also like the, um, like the human services, but I, I, I knew that was something that mattered to you and, and to others and I just wanted to, you know, in the spirit of regional comedy on the board, I wanted to step aside on that one. So does that mean yeah, you're not going to step aside on public safety? No, I didn't. No, that's not. <laughs> okay. No, Do we need to make a motion on that one too? Okay. So you want to make? I move that we have uh, the mayor and uh, Mayor Pro Tem uh, Reyes Martin serve on the public safety and emergency preparedness um, standing committee. I'll second that. Okay. Roll call vote. Councilmember Kiriako. Aye. Councilmember Richards. Yes. Councilmember Kasdan. Is he frozen? Oh, there, you're back. Is he? Did you not hear me? No. Oh, okay. We didn't hear you. Mayor Pro Tempore Reyes Martin. Aye. And Mayor Perotti. Aye. Ayes have it. Okay. Related to Gersh Park, I noticed there's no alternate um, designated. Is it? That'd be cool. They've never had an alternate. I mean, it, I mean actually, yeah, if we could do that. They mind having and both of you there? Yeah, that'd be, I mean, I'd be happy to have you come too. I, Joanne always comes also, but you're, you're more than welcome. 
that's something we need to interested we could can we add an alternate or something and you can go that's the question madam mayor members yes. of the council i'm not sure that Gers Park does have an alternate so if we move that i'm not sure that they have that opportunity. maybe we should check that first yeah i would think so okay i just i just thought it's you know it's it's the hub for children and youth in the community and, and it's something I've been interested in. Um, and yeah, no, I understand. If, if you wanna keep it, I understand. But, but you know, with all seriousness, I'm happy to explore and I'm, and I'm happy to follow up on having an alternate and having you attend. If you have an interest, I'd be delighted to have your participation. Yeah. Okay. So I think we are, we, we did it. That was pleasant. Great job. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you, Ms. Lopez. And then we have now council comments and standing committee reports. I don't know if we have any. I do. Oh, Councilmember Kasdan. Yeah, I want to follow up on the comments that I made earlier with respect to Hollister to direct staff to review that portion of Hollister. It's, we have easily a half a mile without any uh, crosswalks or, or uh, lights in two or more locations. And, you know, just where that accident happened, I guess, you know, between having right near the, uh, the, um, the Cal Taco liquor store, and then further all those bus stops to me, you know, once I, once I thought about it and realized it's like, it's, we can't be leaving people off from the bus in the middle of the night, potentially, and have them run across the street where cars are going 40 miles an hour. It, you know, there's no crosswalks there. It's That's crazy. So I'd, I'd ask for uh, support and having count, uh, staff review that and look for opportunities, look for places where it makes sense putting crosswalks or stoplights, et cetera. Uh, Councilmember uh, Council Kazan, I, I completely support that. I, I'm also just really curious because I wasn't on council at the time this um, this happened, but this is an area that had a bike and pedestrian safety and mobility project placed in it in the not too distant past when we did the multi right. uh, the, the multi use path, which uh, was really. Uh, made a lot of positive changes um, moving east-west um, across that part of the Glita area. I'd like to better understand from staff if they could kind of go back to the kind of the origins of that project and kind of help us better understand why perhaps there wasn't more um, consideration given or ultimately appropriation given to the north-south element of how pedestrians and others get around in that area, especially given uh, the high speeds. Uh, and this just also kind of just brings me back to just Vision Zero and just why that's so important. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, is 40 miles an hour the right speed for an area that's going to become increasingly residential? I don't know. I know that, that bike lane is wonderful. If people take it to the school, that's the particular. It's just fabulous. I recommend class one bike lanes everywhere. <laughs> I, I, Madam Mayor, Thank I would you. actually like City a little manager, clarification on that. I guess my question is when. So I'm concerned that, well, I guess that's my question. When would you like 
um, public works to take a look at that. I mean, someone just died. Honestly, it is. It is. We. I don't know your what people can do. I don't know what public works can do, and I know it's probably a larger project to look across Hollister, but it there's a real. You know, the more it, just drive down there, go down there and look at it, and it's hard not to see the imminent danger. So I I can't figure out for you what you can do and how you can fit it in, but I sure recognize an urgency. You, you know, I, I think that one pedestrian death is one too many. Um, and I, I guess what I would, I would be looking for from staff is perhaps this could be a, a special issue. This could be a, um, a section of the upcoming uh, bike and pedestrian update so that we can specifically dive in into some specific areas and just try and get you know like that that part of the Hollister corridor just looking at how you know how has the the project worked because we're now at I think year five or six maybe a little bit more for the the bike and pedestrian improvements up there how's that working we recently were looking at um, add, adding some funding to do lights in that stretch of Hollister so perhaps consistent with that action that's going to be implemented you can provide us some detail on you know what do we need to do to ensure you know uh, the best optimal north south uh, conveyance of pedestrians and others in that area i don't want this to just be bike and ped related this is not a bike and ped issue bike and ped is connectivity this is something about crossing the street when it's 40 50 miles an hour I mean, that's a good deadline. If the idea, uh, council member, is to say that's a good venue or, or, or time, but I just want to distinguish that it's not simply a bike and bed issue. I, I'm trying to be supportive of your request for con concurrence. If, if you don't like where I'm going with my support, you don't have to accept it, but that's what I, well, I'm trying to give it to I'm, you. <laughs> what I'm saying is it is... Um, the deadline, let's say, if, you, if you're saying bring it to council at the same time concurrent with when we have the uh, bike and ped briefing, that's fine. If, if it is just subsumed within bike and ped, I think we're missing the point. I, I think I articulated something that wouldn't have it subsumed but would be its own section for discussion. Okay, but, but then maybe that's I fine wasn't, with me. Maybe I wasn't clear. I just wanted to. That's fine with me. Councilmember Reyes-Martin. I did right, want to, you know, it's late. Um, I, I do agree with the sense of urgency. Um, I think it's important to note that we have had multiple vehicle pedestrian deaths in Goleta in very recently, um, and we should absolutely treat that as an emergency. Um, I think there are pieces of that conversation that I do think are relevant to the Bike Ped Master Plan. Um, I think Vision Zero is another piece that we've talked a lot about. Um, I'm, I very much support, you know, bringing it um, in terms of the timeline, bringing it at the same time, this discussion about specifically, you know, Hollister. I think um, there are many reasons to look at that corridor uh, for, for safety, but I also don't want to lose sight of this is a bigger problem and bigger issue than just um, what recently happened, um, and we, we should absolutely treat that with urgency. Councilmember Richards. 
Uh, yeah, I just wanted to make a comment with regard to when we have requests for uh, new work items for staff. Uh, uh, in the past, we've had a practice of of looking at those like uh, during the work plan effort, you know, and thinking about how to prioritize that new work uh, with regard to other work that's already on our plate. Right. So again, I don't notwithstanding the urgency and the you know the the emergency of this issue, I just want to make note of that that that's how. We have done that before. Okay. Okay. We're good. <laughs> any other, any other council comments? I'm just going to wish everybody um, happy holidays and happy new year. We won't be back until January 19th. Is that the date? Really? No, we'll be around. <laughs> you know, City Hall will still be uh, working, but um, uh, we won't have another meeting until the 19th. Of January. Is that, am I right on that? The 17th. Okay. Thank you for correcting me. I don't have a, cam uh, a calendar in front of me. Um, City Attorney Report, Megan Garibaldi. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, it's actually the 16th. I was off. So January 16th. Um, I have nothing to report other than happy holidays. Everybody be safe out there. Have a good time, but be safe. Meeting adjourned.